Hello and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. You are being spoiled with two podcasts within days of each other after months of nothing. But And we are sorry. We are sorry. For you those know, months of nothing. That's why we're working so hard to get yeah. back to it. Uh, and doing our best now to catch up on reviews. So we just recorded a previews pod, put that up. Obviously that's for upcoming titles. But what we've always loved doing is reviewing comics, reviewing the things that we enjoy. You know, we've always said this would be a positive podcast. We just review what we enjoy. We don't ram things into the ground, things we didn't enjoy. But uh, I should say, of course, your host is always Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. I'm joined by Mr. Marvel Keith himself as well. And uh, this is a fine Wednesday evening, a fine new comic book day. And not only are we catching up on our podcasts, but we're both reading comics that came out today. <laughs> this, this, this very day. This is the first time in weeks... Uh, I mean, the same reasons that we haven't been able to podcast, really. You know, yeah. the uh, various summer holidays and uh, and uh, for me, sort of uh, <clears throat> starting off wedding arrangements and uh, festival time, Stendhal Festival, the mm-hmm. festival that I'm part of the core team of uh, up in Limavady. Uh, actually, this year had its best year yet and its 13th year. Uh, broke our... 10,000 uh, 10,000 capacity uh, sort of uh, barrier you know it was mm-hmm. always aspirational to do so and in doing so became the largest independent outdoor music festival on the island of Ireland some great uh, some great acts performed as well it was very good uh, that is certainly not an achievement to be sniffed at it's definitely. always great when something's been going a while and growing and growing mm. you know we've a similar situation with the store you know things have been getting busier we seem to be attracting more tourists this year um i don't know if there's cruise ships coming in if more people are coming over to this fine island of ours you know just because of a post-covid world maybe travel restrictions people are more comfortable traveling i was sitting the other day there was a south african couple in yeah, yeah. you know i had a couple of canadians in yesterday a couple of americans in um i had someone in from belgium who was mm-hmm. talking about how Expensive comic books are in Belgium, so they stocked up massively while they were here. In Belgium, the home of Asterix. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, Bruges is in Belgium, you know. I hear it's in Belgium. Um, <laughs> it's funny I talk about Colin Farrell. I sat and watched Miami Vice last night for the first time in a long time. Yes, that's very underrated uh-huh. movie. Have you watched the Banshees of Inisherin yet? I still have not. Man, great I show. really need to because yeah. obviously it's the complete in Bruges team doing it. Yeah, um, it's interesting because not that I, you know agree with my dad on an awful lot of movies and stuff but he hated it and I thought that would be completely his kind of movie because he loves Brendan Gleeson in anything uh, he's in like Brendan Gleeson is in a lot of different things and he's certainly in a lot of McDonough stuff he loved him in The Guard uh, he loved him Bruges and then I was really surprised to hear he didn't like the Banshee well, I, can, I can see why because he played a very different character mm-hmm. he was a much more I, I can I can see why your dad might have uh, enjoyed the character in The Guard <clears> and, and the character that he played in, in Bruges but I can see that the character in, in Banshees was a very different character, much more introspective. Uh, I don't. I can see why your dad maybe didn't like him. Uh, oh. So he was maybe disappointed then that he wasn't playing that same bullshit yeah. character, you know. That's fair. I definitely will get to it at some point as I say I love the whole creative team involved there. Um, but yeah, no, I got Miami Vice into my head for some reason and uh, I have it in Blu-ray because, yes, believe it or not, dear listener, physical media still does exist. Uh, outside of streaming services and and you'll be glad you have it whenever they start cutting off your access to things absolutely there's more and more things just being dropped from streaming services and um, 
I, I was reading the other day, I think, that they're stopping production of Blu-rays in Australia. Wow. So it has begun. The end times have begun. But fear not, we're back on the we're back on the potting side of things, so we're here to make you feel feel better. But yeah, I mean talking in terms of watching stuff, <clears throat> obviously it has been a minute since we recorded, so a few different things we wanted to mention, you know, not everything has to be comic book related, but there will be one or two things along here. One or two things that are comic book related? One or two things that are comic book related in our general watching. <laughs> I mean, be plenty as opposed of... to some stores, we know that one or two things are comic book related, but the rest is... Well, <laughs> me Less out. sad, easier. easier me <laughs> Let's go back to the positivity here. But yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder when I, I use the social media channels for the store, do people only want to hear about comic book stuff or do they want to hear about other stuff? But... One thing I put out a, a couple of weeks ago, I watched the TV show called The Bear, which is on Disney Plus. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, I have a, a background in sort of high-level hospitality, Michelin star restaurant-level hospitality. So watching something like The Bear, which is all about a guy who slightly cracked under the pressure of being the best young chef in the world, uh, coming back to Chicago to take over his brother's you know, greasy spoon, for lack of a better term. You know, it's basically his Chicago sandwich shop. Well, I mean, it's a very specific. It's very specific. The Chicago dipped sandwich is, is yeah, is a is a. That's true. That's you know, true. But it was Chicago. You know, it was a business today was run ridiculously badly and into the ground. But also, lots of employees yeah. who are set in their ways and they don't want to listen to this young kid coming in with all his high high ideas. And that's what happens whenever you let the Punisher run your sandwich shop. That is indeed. You're not wrong. I mean, he's very Punisher-like and second season but we'll not talk about that <clears throat> but uh, yeah first season of it was good but the second season of it was genuinely just one of the single best things I've ever watched I'm really looking forward to you having seen it because Keith was playing catch up he was well not playing catch up he was watching, re-watching the first season I think you'll find I was an early adopter you were I mean you, you have this habit you know Cobra Kai uh-huh. watched yeah, it before yeah, the entire yeah. world I think uh-huh. and I caught, I, caught, uh, <laughs> I caught the bear randomly on on Disney Plus one evening and watched the whole series and I think uh, Betty Ender was posting going you just need to watch this you just need to watch this <laughs> on, our, on our chat but well, as I say it can be an experience for us watching because Vicky and I get slight PTSD I'm watching sure. it, but yeah. it's just a brilliant brilliant show and as I say season 2 is just incredible great soundtrack to it as well oh fantastic. you know very heavily yeah. based in Chicago oh, bands well and... I mean there's a lot of <clears throat> I mean the, the soundtrack is phenomenal whenever, whenever our buddy Stuart is uh, congratulating something on the soundtrack uh, I mean he is he's a, a real a music a music aficionado probably more so than a comic aficionado mm-hmm. um, and he's got a real deep knowledge um, for me I mean you're hearing Counting Crows you're hearing uh, Wilco uh, R.E.M. you're hearing Springsteen Dylan, Springsteen you know it's, it's real Americana yep yeah absolutely but, but the good kind of Americana yeah great <laughs> great show absolutely great show as you say the ups and downs of both family life and restaurant life uh, and the pressures which I always think are very very unnecessary pressures that are all based on ego Oh, very much so. I can confirm that having worked in first hand, but you know, the chef I used to work for is on his fourth marriage right now. You watch something like The Bear and that striving for perfection and the pressure that puts on you is just, it doesn't equate well to a family life. No, I would would say, I would say not, you know, there, and I mean, there's a lot of places that you strive for perfection, but that aren't necessarily mixed with ego. I would say that, that one of the places that, you know, the, the, industry that Bruno works in the theatre mm-hmm. industry is much the same 
there's an awful lot of pressure where there doesn't need to be pressure you're just putting yeah. on a show almost feels artificial yeah. pressure yeah it is, it is you know, it's not life or death no 100% 100% but yeah it's an absolutely fantastic series yeah big big time uh, another show I've been watching I, I was just recommending to Keith is something called Fubar mm-hmm. uh, which is an Arnold Schwarzenegger starring show on Netflix very much within his realm action comedy uh, he plays a uh, a CIA agent on the verge of retirement. He sent him for one last job. And Sounds a wee bit like old dog, doesn't it? It does. You know, see, it's all comic related. Uh-huh. You see, um, but yeah, he sent him to do one last job to rescue an operative from behind Emily uh, Emily lines. Emily lines. Enemy lines. Uh-huh. And uh, it turns out that that um, agent is his daughter, and he had no idea she was a CIA it agent. Does sound an awful lot like old dog. <clears throat> it sounds a lot like True Lies as well, mm-hmm. or a variation on. But it's just tremendous fun. It's six. We're six episodes into an eight episode season. Whereas The Bear is the kind of show that will get you thinking and will stay with you a long time, mm. Fubar is like fast food television. Yeah. It's satisfying. And, I mean, there's, sorry, just and there's go, a place for it. To go back to The Bear, there's something really interesting about it in that <coughs> the length of the episodes varies based on the amount of time they need to tell the story yeah. of that episode. There's some that are really short, like 30 minutes, some that are 45, very, 47. Very modern TV yeah. trait, that, because when it comes to streaming services, there's no, we have an yeah. hour of television to fill or yeah. we have five ad breaks to take. And I like that. You know, I, Better yeah. Call Saul was like yeah, that. 100%. Agree. Better Call Saul was episodes 42 minutes, then the next one was 59 minutes. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, while I haven't seen Food Bar, I think it's interesting that, you know, what, earlier this year, uh, Stallone was in was on TV as the Tulsa, Tulsa King. King. Uh, and then Arnie, his uh, constant brother in arms, is <laughs> suddenly on TV for the first time, you know, in, in Food Bar. That's kind of cool in a way, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, TV side of things, what, what sort of things have you been across? Uh, well, The Bear, as I say, I'm re-watching it. Uh, Bruna had never seen it, so we're re-watching it before we go into the second season. Finishing off uh, Secret Invasion, I know it's not one you're catching for, for very good reasons. Um, <coughs> finished off Strange New Worlds Season 2, uh, which was phenomenal. Great quality Star Trek. Tell me about that musical episode. Uh, the musical episode was, <laughs> as you know, uh, I am not a fan of the musical uh, as a uh, as a. Despite someone who works in music. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy music as music. I don't necessarily enjoy <clears throat> music as a as a storytelling narrative. This is uh, fair. You this know, fair. Uh, aside from Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds and, uh, and also the Blues Brothers. Um, but yeah, so Star Trek, uh, Strange New Worlds, did a musical episode. This was following on from the episode where they crossed over with Lower Decks, the animated series, <clears throat> which was phenomenal and starred... Um, uh, you man, um, oh, what a name, name escapes me. Um, oh, come to Jack, 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 son of Dennis Quaid, Jack Quaid, <laughs> uh, you know, from the boys, the boys, yeah, Huey. absolutely. So he does the voice of uh, Boimler mm-hmm. in the Star Trek, so they he actually played him in the oh, that's uh, you cool. know, which is great in the live action <laughs> version. But uh, that's an aside, the musical episode I think was great. I went into it. I held off watching it for a couple of weeks. Uh, I went into it with trepidation and ended up uh, laughing and crying my way through it. it Do you not think sometimes that's the best way to approach things? Though, yeah. With a, a lowered expectations because then it's better to be pleasantly surprised than to go in with high expectations yeah. and go, oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was watching it because I have faith in Strange New Worlds yeah. and the writers and the team. They're a team that love Star Trek, that know Star Trek, that care about Star Trek. And... Uh, they, you know, so because of them, I was willing to overcome my biases against musicals yeah. and watch it, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a great, a great story to 
the way they, they, they crafted the story in order to make the musical happen and then mm-hmm. the format with which they did it was great and then of course they even had a final number <laughs> which was necessary to save the ship <laughs> it was class so so yeah I'm still on Voyager as well mm-hmm. uh, I'm, sorry Strange New World's finished and the, uh, the musical episode was the penultimate episode the final episode then I thought it was very well done because the, the musical episode was quite light-hearted by its very nature, mm-hmm. uh, focused on relationships. You can't put a lot of action in a musical episode, you know, yeah. necessarily. But uh, but then the final episode was high stakes, you know. Uh, it's the calm before the storm. It's, it's a well-worn it was, trope in television. It was a contrast, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Say, I'm still watching, still watching my way through Voyager with uh, Enterprise mm-hmm. next on my watch. And Bruno and I are also watching Deadwood. Oh, Lovejoy swearing. Oh, I, uh, it's much, much more than that. <laughs> it is probably the best representation of a Western that you'll ever see in the televisual medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the likes of Unforgiven whenever I say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is <clears throat> so dark, so gritty. Uh, it, it, it's a wee bit impenetrable at the start, like The Wire. Yeah. You have to get your ear into the cadence of how you speak mm-hmm. before you can sort of, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's such... I've, I've, I've watched The Wire... Wired, no, Deadwood, all the way through three times. This is my fourth, Bro's never seen it. Loving it again, <laughs> again. So I can just guys. imagine your ears pricking up when you said to Bruno, Have you seen Deadwood? She goes, No, and you go, Really? <laughs> well, I'm about to blow your mind. And uh, let's watch that from the start. 100%. What about, uh, what about movies? Movies wise, I'll give you a great contrast for the last two movies that well, you, I've seen. You're not, you're not getting to the cinema quite as much as not as like much to. as I would like to. I yeah. mean, I say the last two movies I've watched um, cinema related because obviously I just said I watched Mammy Vice last night. Um, but yeah, the, the two of the big movies this year definitely, and they couldn't be further contrasts. With one hand we have The Flash, the other hand we have Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer went to the uh, IMAX to see it. It's predominantly shot in IMAX. Uh, Christopher Nolan's a big supporter of the format. Three-hour historical epic about the father of the atomic bomb. It should, in a weird way, it should not have been as good as it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it it could have been a six-episode Netflix series, given the subject matter. You look at something like Chernobyl, how well that was oh, handled. Brilliant. You could have easily done that, but somehow a three-hour movie, which is all talking, all dialogue-based, all performance-based, it was absolutely phenomenal. It's. You always have this recency bias when you're ranking things, but I'd say it's definitely in no one's top three or four. Um, I mean, that's it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a story, historical story. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I mean, I'm familiar with Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, in the historical context. Yeah. Now I become death destroyer of words. Uh, you know all of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, Great performances, Killian Murphy. You know Robert Downey Jr. And then loads of actors just start popping into, and you're like, oh, they're in this. Oh, they're in this. There's Florence Pugh. There's Emily Blunt. You know, it's Matt Damon's in there too. Matt Damon. Yeah. Well, Matt Damon, I think, is actually the best thing in it, um, oh. aside from Killian Murphy, because he really does have to carry the whole movie. Uh-huh. Um, just like he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders as he's trying to come up with a deterrent for the yeah. ten the war. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. Phenomenal piece of work. The other one I caught. <clears throat> I mean, it was interesting. Blind Boy, uh, the Blind Boy podcast is one of the best podcasts around, uh, other than this one. Uh, it has his marginally more successful than ours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his last episode was titled, I was supposed to interview Killian Murphy in the podcast today. But, and that's exactly what was supposed to happen. He's mm-hmm. had Killian Murphy on before, obviously, Killian Murphy's from Cork. So, yeah. you know, uh, and he's always very, he's been on Blind Boy before. He's great, uh, very entertaining. Um, but uh, he was supposed to, interview him about Oppenheimer and 
uh, he was going to ask him about mythology and all sorts of things and uh, and that and then as a, as a result of the writer's strike and the Screen Actors Guild strike uh, Killian Murphy couldn't come on he goes I can't talk can't about, do yeah, know, can't and, do any press and of course Blind Boy was like yep I'm absolutely in support of that so well Oppenheimer was one of the first uh, movies against or to basically stand up to the strike because um, and to join forces with it because they were doing press on the red carpet I think for the British premiere mm-hmm. and I think just as the movie started the whole cast got up and walked out because mm-hmm. that was the, the time when the strike time yeah. that was yeah. when it was um, starting brilliant. Brilliant. Yep. but yeah wonderful wonderful piece of work and uh, highly I know it's on your list if you can see it in IMAX no, it's worth the extra well. couple of quid yeah. because the visuals the sound everything like we went to see it three weeks after it come out on a Sunday at 12 midday and it was nine tenths full. Like this movie has done really well, which is great to see. Not a franchise movie, not an existing property movie, just a a well told movie that's all about story and script and acting, and it's doing brilliant. So yeah, oh definitely, it's it's high on the list. We just haven't had the opportunity the past uh, but the past few weeks. I did so it was budgeted at about a hundred million. I did see a movie that apparently cost three times that, oh. and. Uh, oh. <laughs> This is this is the Flash, is it? Oh, the Flash. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked there before just about <clears throat> apologies to Stephen before we start. Well, when you were going into talking about the musical episode, you had lowered your expectations and wasn't sure. The Flash was a strange one because I've had as many people come into the store say it was great as I've had people saying it was terrible. So I sort of went in thinking, you know, I, I haven't seen a movie this polarizing probably since the Last Jedi. I would say. Um, and the flash, yeah. So the first 15, 20 minutes, which is interesting to me because we'll, we'll get to your, <laughs> your own opinion on that in a moment. But I thought the first 15 to 20 minutes were actually good. Uh, it showcased uh, Bruce Wayne, or sorry, Ben Affleck's uh, Batman teaming up with the flash. Wonder Woman got involved. You saw a news report where Superman's halfway across the world helping someone else. Alfred was on the phone asking. So it was linking it all together in a nice way. Um, which was sort of a, a window into what could have been if that universe continued, which I'm not saying it should. I'm more than happy for the, the reset that James Gunn is, is overseeing, but I quite enjoyed all that part. And then once they move into just the Barry Allen stuff, it just went downhill fast for me. Um, Flashpoint is one of my very favorite stories. I, I mean, Flashpoint was the first event I read in single issues uh-huh. in a long time wow. because I... I got back in the single issue comics around 2010 when Scott Snyder was doing uh, Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. And then the New 52 was coming up, so Flashpoint was the event that kickstarted the New 52. And this was just an unbelievably terrible adaptation of a, a revered story. It had, jump, it had jumps in logic, it had jumps in character beats. You have a main character who learns nothing throughout the whole movie. Um, Suffice to say, I was not a fan, but yeah. one thing I will say just before we, we get on to your 15-minute uh, <laughs> playing with the title, um, we watched it, and Vicky turned to me at the end, and she was like, why did you make me watch that? That was terrible. <laughs> and then she turned back, and uh, on the screen, there was like still some imagery over the credits. <clears throat> now, there's a scene at the start where a bunch of babies fall out of a building. Yes, I'm familiar with it. It's the straw that broke the camel's back yes, for you, I think. Is. But... I kind of like that scene. It was very Looney Tunes-esque, played for humour, lighthearted. I had no problem with that. But one of the post-credit type things was a baby falling, and a dog was falling at the same time, and the dog hugged the baby. 
and Vicky literally went from this is the worst movie ever to oh, oh my oh. god this is amazing. <laughs> so she said it wasn't worth watching again she would fast forward to the credits yeah yeah fair <laughs> um, my experience with the flash was over in the flash uh, I turned it on in the house uh, the other week and uh, I watched that I, I mean uh, I am well uh, well documented as not being a fan of um, of the the way the Flash has been played in the the mm-hmm. Snyder the Snyder movies. Um, I've seen the same actor, you know, play play other things possibly, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're they're a D list actor being being pushed into A list parts. I think not mm-hmm. not 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 there yet. You know. I'm, but I'm also not a fan. I, I mean, I love the Flash in the comics. I love Barry Allen's one of my favorite DC comic characters. Um, I'm just, I just don't like the way that Barry Allen has played mm-hmm. in those in those movies. I think, for one thing, they're trying too hard to play up the the the, the sort of neurodiversity angle, the ADHD side of it, mm-hmm. to the point that it's it's if you're trying to make a point, if you're trying to uh, to champion, uh, you know, to, to be active about that particular topic, don't make a farce of it because that's mm-hmm. what it was doing. You know, yeah. it was and what was with the, him queuing up like a sprinter every time he went to set off. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the Flash. Why did he spend five minutes posing before he started running? You know, that was that was a big issue. But it's yeah, things. I watched I watched that. Uh, I mean, there's there's cool ways to do it. There's cool ways. I mean. Superhero landings are cool, and you know, there's cool, super, superheroes do cool things and look cool doing it. That doesn't look cool every mm. time he was like, "Whoop, ready to go and go," you know. Uh, I just it wasn't the, the the whole collapsing building, baby, babies falling out of windows, dogs falling out of windows. You know, just I was like, I can't. The effects were terrible. Um, Batman spent the whole time running around his bat pod doing nothing but talking, and you didn't see his face. I'm convinced that there was no actor playing Batman at that point. That was. That was all CGI and voice, <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> despite the fact Alfred was literally he was literally phoning it into Barry Allen, yeah. Jeremy Irons looked like he was phoning it in, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so after after I, I switched it off at the fifteen minute mark, I just I just thought life's too short. Well, as I say, Vicky is very envious of you. The fact that you yeah. did switch it off at the fifteen minute yeah, mark. <clears throat> I mean, I, I mean to to cleanse the palate, uh, I did go and see. I got a chance to see uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. uh, at the cinema in Lisburn, close by. Uh, the The last viewing. I was going to say it was the last showing on the last it? day, uh, and I was the, the only person in the cinema on the uh, last showing. <laughs> on the last day, <laughs> Keith finally saw Spider-Verse. And man, it, I mean, I I didn't realize that it is it's a cliffhanger. It's the first of a two part uh, two part piece. Yeah. Um, it was I, I couldn't and I, I sort of figured it out because it, it starts to come towards a crescendo <clears> and you're like eh, they are not there's done. a lot of threads here. yeah there's a lot yeah. going on here to, you know so I thought either they're going to finish this up in a hurry or something's good but I mean you have to appreciate um, so obviously the, the Spider-Verse movies are made by people who love comic books mm-hmm. and not they're not making a comic book movie. They are making a, a movie as a comic book. Uh, you know the different the different styles. You yeah. know so visual styles. Yeah, the different visual styles <clears throat> styles and uh, for for different characters. So uh, 
um, what do you call him? Spider UK, Spider Punk. You know, he's he looks like he's the cover off the cover of a of a like a Anarchy in the UK album. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, you know that sort of that sort of stuff. Like a yeah, brilliant. And then uh, Scarlet Spider Ben Riley has done like in, in the style of a nineties comic. Yeah, you know, and he, it's so it's so cool. Like it's just. Uh, that it's worth watching just to see it visually, just to see the medium that we love interpreted Translated in so a way well. that is, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of how Spider Man twenty ninety nine was used. One of my favorite characters uh, of all time, and he was sort of made into uh, an antagonist, but mm-hmm. there were the right reasons to do it. Um, I mean, Spider Gwen's a huge part of it. Um, for a for a Miles Morales movie, there wasn't as much Miles Morales in it as. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first but it was de- sorry. It was it was definitely an ensemble cast. You know, Spider Gwen was was much more prevalent. Um, but yeah, it was so good on the the effects they used for the spot. Who is the main villain? Who starts off as a jokey joke character and ends up as a fucking word threat. <laughs> it was so good. It's such a good such a good movie. I just I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, there was so much going on in it. You could watch it again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching it again and again. So. Yeah, it just fell very much into the vortex of not being able to get to the cinema as much as I would like. Totally but, understood. Totally you know, understood. Now that uh, now that Alfie is he's recently turned one, he's a little bit older, he's a little bit easier to mind, shall we say? My mum's always happy to look after him for a couple of hours on a Sunday, so that's how we fit it in because yep. we did go to see Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning as well. Right, rather enjoyed yep. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so cinema trips are starting to become a thing again, but I think Spider Verse fell into that. Indiana Jones Five Spider Verse. Yes, that's one that I still haven't sort seen. Sort of yeah. vortex yeah. where I just couldn't get to the cinema, unfortunately. You know? Yeah, it's uh, well, I highly, I highly recommend it. It's very. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. loved the first one. Uh, first one yeah. was, was the, possibly the second best Spider-Man movie of all time. Yeah. Also, <laughs> a couple of things I suppose Nicholas Cage related. Uh, <laughs> there's a venue in town in, in, in the middle of Belfast called Black Box. Mm-hmm. Some would call it the most important <coughs> arts venue in Belfast. And uh, they started running a night, a series of movies called Caged, uh, in which it's a Sunday night, uh, every other Sunday night now for the next few months, mm-hmm. I think, uh, wherein you go along, um, you pay in and you buy a drink, and uh, you sit down and they play a Nicolas Cage movie that you don't know what it's going to be ahead of time. So uh, we, <laughs> we were lucky enough to see Vampire's Kiss. Do you think it's a 1984 yeah. movie? One of Nicolas Cage's first. Totally, totally Nicolas Cage, as you have come to. Yeah. You know, uh, absolutely overacting, low budget. It's uh, it's about a man who thinks he has been turned into a vampire. That's not necessarily the case, but <laughs> you get a poster as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a free poster and a picture with their Nicolas Cage stand up. Um, it's very... I'd be sitting there just fingers crossed going please be the rock Connor or face off oh, please man. be the rock Connor I mean I'm glad off. I'm glad it was what it was because <laughs> I've never seen that and then on the other end of Nicolas Cage's career uh, sat and watched Renfield uh, the other night very very good very which enjoyable. is a proper vampire as opposed to yes, thinking he's a vampire he, he plays Dracula in it uh, but the, yeah uh, yeah and it, it recasts what do you call the, the kid that plays Renfield Nicholas Holt Nicholas Holt not a kid the, 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 the young actor who plays uh, and they recast that relationship, that familiar relationship, uh, as a toxic, narcissistic, you know, <laughs> abusive relationship between Dracula and, and Redfield. is very, very good. It's very good indeed. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing a cool trailer for it. Definitely have to 
check that out as yeah, well. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. So you uh, you committed some sort of cardinal sin there uh, fairly recently. I believe uh, you had uh, apparently so yeah. taken possession of a PS5, and you no longer have possession of that PS5. I put it in our group chat that uh, I traded in a PS5 for a Nintendo Switch. Now, keep in mind, I had a PS5 for a year, and I played it for a total of about ten hours. I traded in for a Switch simply because I wanted something more multiplayer based. Um, and uh, portable. And portable, and yeah, and, and, and Vicky alone has played uh, Mario Kart more than the 10 hours I played <laughs> the PS5 all year. But, you know, I'm really enjoying Super Mario Odyssey, I'm enjoying Zelda, the latest game. Um, it's actually got me back into gaming for the first time in a long time. Oh, good. Because good. The, the problem for me with the PS5 is probably the, the strength for a lot of other people in that. Nearly all the games are single player. Single player, yeah, which is which I love. Yeah, I love, yeah. So if if we're sitting in the living room, you know, nice big TV, PlayStation Five, I stick on Spider Man or Ghost of Tsushima. Vicky's sort of sitting there twiddling her thumbs, uh-huh. like, okay, what yeah. do I do? But with um, the Switch, a it's portable, but b it's very multiplayer. Yeah, so yeah. cool, makes um, perfect sense for your lifestyle. But it was just funny yeah. seeing the the reactions to it. It really was like I had committed. A yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I'm, I'm on the PlayStation Four. I haven't got a PlayStation Five yet. Uh, eventually I will there's a new Spider-Man game coming out that may lead me in another may direction tip the skills however I have a lot of uh, a lot of donuts that I haven't put in the donut machine yet so mm-hmm. uh, still a lot of games to play uh, so I'll, I'll be alright for a wee while but uh, we have been um, when I say we I mean uh, store regulars uh, Roddy uh, lately of this podcast uh, Martin and Stuart uh, and uh, our, our friend Alex have been getting together for a great wee semi-regular board game mm-hmm. uh, day, you know, on uh, the odd Saturday, and uh, it's it's very wholesome, you know, just coffees and snacks, and uh, we we select a board game. So we've been through a uh, Firefly the board game, uh, which is a fantastic, really crunchy board game. Takes up this whole table. Uh, this is for the listener is a is a, an extra rather large table. table yeah. <clears throat> um, we played uh, Lovecraft inspired Arkham Horror uh, the other week. We played a new game Scythe. Which I got, which is kind of, um, it's like 1920s, but with mechs mm-hmm. and uh, and steampunk, you know, sort of thing. Sky Captain type yeah, thing. Yeah, a wee bit, wee bit like that, but it's, it's, uh, it's a, the, the game is a balance between your balance and your, your farming and your industry with your war machine, mm-hmm. you know, so the war machine will, will protect the industry and the farming and you're trying to expand your territory and stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, and... Uh, we had a really interesting one called The Quiet Year, which is a storytelling narrative game. It's not quite a role-playing game, not quite a board game, but you're collectively, uh, you have this year in which to tell the story of this community that has just recovered from an apocalypse and is unknown to them, and a year is going to have another one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you build the stories around this community. It's really it's really cool. And I recently, as you well know, thanks to yourself, got a hold of the new Marvel multiversal role-playing game. So... Uh, looking forward to giving that a go with the boys. Uh, that'll be good fun. Yeah, as, uh, I think I said in the previews part about it, but it was just funny watching you flicking through it in the store, just chuckling away to yourself <laughs> at the sheer wealth of possibilities that yeah, that book yeah, will yeah. Uh, will deliver. So, yeah, it's interesting because today I was in time moving into Waterstones. I was picking Alfie up a couple of books. He really loves his books, which is great to see, given that he's going to inherit a comic store. Uh, whether he likes it or not but uh, I was looking over at their board game section on Waterstones and a couple caught my eye there was one for The Shining 
Yeah, yeah. There was one for Alien. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. And most importantly, there was one for one of the greatest movies of all time, Rear Window. Oh, yes. It's like uh -huh. a detective deduction type game. Right. So, right. yeah, no, it's it's something that's perked my interest a little bit as well recently. Yeah, so. 100%. Well, you're, you're welcome anytime. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move away from the, the, the watching, the playing, and move on to the comics type stuff, you know. <laughs> stop talking crap and stop talk, start talking about why we're here. Stop talking about other crap. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's uh, the, the more important crap. But, uh, yeah, no, what, what we decided to do was we, we had fallen a couple of months behind. Our, our endeavor is to do is to deliver a monthly show. Uh, showcasing the best titles each month that means we've had plenty of time to read digest enjoy them but also gives plenty of time to go past any sort of spoiler embargo but uh we were a couple of months behind but what we've decided to do is to uh, combine two months into this one show which is going to be covering the releases in june and july so what we've done is we've picked three titles each from june and three titles each from july uh, the good news being that it's 12 totally different titles uh you know there's no there's no well there's crossover to a degree in the things we have both read but we didn't pick the same thing so to speak i mean looking at the june july releases you know we, we always do our totals as well now for me in june i had 76 titles which was 23 dc 20 marvel and 33 indie Oof. you beat me though I did. And that's because of the amount of Marvel titles. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I'm sitting four above you uh, with 80 titles total. Uh, 80 titles total. 80 titles. Say that three times fast. <clears throat> um, 20 of them are DC, so uh, three less than your good self. Uh, 42 of them are Marvel, so more than twice uh, your, uh, your Marvel um, tech. And 18 of them are indie, which is, uh, I guess, almost... Yeah, almost half of what you have in Indy. Which is really funny just looking at our totals and then looking at what we're going to be picking because despite only having 18 at Indy, two of your three picks are Indy. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, yeah, 100%. And uh, despite only having 20 Marvel, uh, one of your picks is Marvel. See, go. it all comes together. But In fact, you've got one Marvel, one Indy, one DC. Yeah, I was quite proud of that. Yeah. Uh, but then I did July and it wasn't the same. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, the sure. reason for that is because when if I look at my July overview... Uh, July, uh, an event started called Night Terrors through yes. DC. That you know anybody who's been in the stores heard this story, but I'll tell it again for the benefit of any listeners. But for two months, Night Terrors was in the previews books. Yes. It was on our boards in the store. Yeah. We did podcasts on it. I mentioned in the YouTube channel. There was a free comic book day issue this year that we ordered in two hundred copies of. That was the preview for Night Terrors. But it didn't seem to matter what we did. No one was excited for this uh, for this event. So we had three people had signed up for the main Night Terror series. So as anybody who knows, you know, I only work in the store now three days a week. Obviously, time spent looking after Alfie. You say only, but it's still a lot of days. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's six days of work put yeah. into three days, uh, which is proven <laughs> a little difficult sometimes. But... But the key point is that I'm not there Wednesday, which is new release day, and I'm not there Thursday, Friday. I come back on the Saturday. So I did all the pull lists the week of those releases. Because only three people had signed up for Night Terrors, I ordered 10 copies in. And I was like, seven for the racks is loads. No one cares about this. <clears throat> Whatever else. So I come back in on the Saturday, and I, I read Chris's notes. He'll always take down notes from people for me. 37 people wanted to be put on the Night Terrors. Right. And I just wanted to tear my hair out because it really felt like 
no one listened to us because yes. we were like there it is on the board there's the free comic book day issue we it's told, like it's like cramming before the exam isn't yeah it? it's like know. you know we, we we try our best to keep people informed through you know pods and youtube and everything else but then it suddenly came out and everybody wanted it so i have been playing catch up with ordering for this uh-huh. event and ever since it started so tell us a wee bit about the format of the event so the format of the event with Night Terrors, there was a, a one-shot that kicked it off called First Blood. Yes. Um, no relation to Rambo. And then what you have is a four-issue miniseries, which is your main uh, title, one issue every two weeks. But every week you would have a Night Terrors tie-in series. So you might have Night Terrors Batman, Night Terrors Wonder Woman, Night Terrors Superman. But all the main titles throughout July and August, such as Zdarsky's Batman and Joshua Williamson's Superman... All of these titles are put on pause. So we were never going to be the kind of store, you know, we have 57 people on Batman, but we weren't going to stick 57 people on Night Terror's Batman okay. because it's a totally unrelated thing. So uh, it's it's just been such hard work because the thing is with comics, we obviously put orders in two months in advance. We get a chance to top them up one month in advance, but after that we're not guaranteed titles. So I've been playing catch-up for the last five, six weeks, every week, trying to make sure I have enough night yeah. terrors. And I mean, so Batman was cancelled, not cancelled, put on hold. Put on hold. But there is two but issues. But there was two issues of night terrors. with a completely different creative team. Totally different yeah. creative uh-huh. team, because it's Joshua Williamson writing and Guillaume March, I think. Yeah. And, and likewise, through all the titles, plus there's a few extra bits and pieces. Yeah. yeah. So, like, don't get me wrong, I've read bits and pieces of it, and some of it has been entertaining. Uh, but it just feels very inconsequential. It feels a little future steady to me. Uh, then there's some good stories there, but well, some of Future State was consequential, yeah, so but a lot yeah, of it was yeah, of course it was yeah, absolutely. We're still seeing we're still seeing echoes now, yeah. Uh, but this is just uh, it, it, it's like a, I mean, I, obviously my metaphors are going to come from the Marvel side of the fence, mm. but it's like DC does fear itself with Nightmare mm-hmm. in charge. Uh, yeah, you know, as the main big bad. There's some cool <laughs> stuff. There is some cool stuff. Uh, I love the inclusion of John D from the Sandman universe mm-hmm. uh, and the Nightmare Stone. That sort of stuff was kind of groovy. Um, Dead Man, who is the main character of this series, is not one that I'm. A, Boston Brand's all right. Yeah, you know, I'm enjoying the the reintroduction of the original Sandman, the Golden Age Sandman, yeah. Wesley Dodds. But ugh, it just no. feels inconsequent. It, it, it seems like the kind of thing that when it hits trade, I think would make an interesting read, but. It's not one of those ongoing things where you're thinking, I have to read this because this is going to set up the DC Universe for yeah, the next and I mean, year. I think as with with the, the the real world being as it is and money being as it is, it's got to be consequential if you yeah. want to spend that much money on it. You know? So, I mean, there was a day, there was a time whenever, you know, I did exactly that with Age of Apocalypse, all of the comic, and I just picked up all of Age but of Apocalypse. But you were right, nothing about that. Was that? You regret nothing about it. I regret that. nothing about that, no. no <laughs> Interestingly, there was someone in the store yeah. the other day talking about Age of Apocalypse. You were like, yep, got it all. <laughs> burning, burning stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, so. But yeah, I mean, it's. I'm in, it's Joshua Williamson. I mean, it's clever. I'm enjoying yeah. it. You know, it's. it's. I suppose but, I just made it more from the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the store, yeah. you know, the store ordering side of things. It's mm-hmm. just been a nightmare. I mean, a nightmare. Um, hey! <laughs> a night terror. But I also don't... Say? I don't understand why they've released it in the middle of summer. Like, do it in October. Yeah, I yeah. just... I, I don't know. The whole event's a bit strange. But but what I will say is that when it then comes to my July totals, 
Um, I have more indie books in July than I have DC and Marvel combined. Yeah. And a lot of that's down to Night Terrors because I'm not picking up an awful lot from it. And all the major DT, DC titles are on hold for two months. So, I mean, yeah. we've had two months of no Batman, no Nightwing, no, no, no Titans, Titans yeah. no Green Lantern, which yeah. just started recently, no Detective no Comics, Flash, yeah. no Flash. You know, yeah, so I mean, my, my, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have two or three DC titles a week. I mean, there's a reason we've caught up on our bullets. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, <laughs> I mean, that said, I mean, I don't have a lot of DC titles, Yeah, as many as you do normally. I'm just picking up... Uh, the core, the core series, you know. Yeah. So, First Blood, not related to Rambo. The four issues, and I assume it's First Blood fun. Part Two, not related yeah. to Rambo. Which <laughs> 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 will finish it. So, yeah. So that's that's your crack. Uh, yeah, when it came to those July tools, as I say, June had seventy six, July had seventy five. So there's yeah, a, almost yeah, a so perfect symmetry there. But July tools for me: fifteen DC, nineteen Marvel, forty one indie books. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of indie books. Uh, you're obviously making up, but. I mean, the Night Terrors hasn't impacted my totals as much mm-hmm. for that reason. But I mean, for me, the, the the large number of Marvel books is as a result of how Marvel does their families. Yeah, you know, Marvel is something that Marvel does very strongly, very strongly. More so, I think, than DC is. You know, you have your Spider Man family. Yeah, you have your X books. You have your Heroes family. You have your events. You yeah. have your Star Wars books. You have, and then separate from that, even then you have your aliens and predator, yeah. which are and planet of the apes, which are all the same, you know. So, and I mean, I just kind of pick up all of those alien predator, <laughs> planet of the apes, um, you know. So it's the Star Wars stuff uh, for me. It's I mean, so yeah, and June uh, Cold War campaign end, you know. So uh, both Captain America books have yeah. tailed off, come to an end. Um, well, that's it. A few Marvel titles have come to an end that are, yeah. are coming to an end in the next little while. I mean. Already had this week with the reading that Zdarsky's Daredevil came yeah. to the end after uh-huh. four years. Yes, uh-huh. a pretty damn long run. Captain America, as you say, I'm looking forward to JMS taking over J. Michael Straczynski, but I was really enjoying what Kelly and Lansing were doing. Yeah, actually, that uh, uh, June I also picked up uh, three or four issues of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Not a Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel. Not a what book. Was that linked to? Uh, it was linked. Avengers, it was linked to X Men. X Men. Uh, it was marginally linked. It was there was the, it was linked enough that you thought you needed the brood were in X Men and the brood <laughs> were in Captain Marvel and they advertised it that way and there was crossover uh, and then I stayed on for the final issue of Captain Marvel which was lovely uh, you know it was a send off to to Kelly Thompson you know so yeah but yeah plenty plenty of uh, I mean June was June was was a pretty was a pretty big month I think um, with regard to. With regard to everything, so you know you had the the kick off in DC of the We Are Legends books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spirit World kicked Some in there. Great stuff there, yeah. And uh, in Indy, we had Once Upon a Time coming back for its second arc. Um, we had um, well some stuff we're going to talk about. I think I think Old Dog really hit its hit its pace in, in June. I mean the first four issues were great, but issue five was phenomenal. Yeah, it was a bit of a game changer. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? definitely was a game changer. Um, we had. Uh, Seasons of Teeth. Were, Seasons of were Teeth good. came to an end, and uh, there was—I mean, there was there was just some good quality comics. You know, there was that final week of June. You had Action Comics one hundred five six and Detective Comics one hundred seven three, and you know Green Arrow and City Boy. And all. It was just so you're talking about this lovely simpler time before Night Terror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, but I mean, I made a note that week. I was like, it was a funny week. Everything was really good quality. But nothing stood up above yeah. anything else that particular week. But yeah, I mean June was a June was a strong June was a strong month. I thought. Yeah, 
Do you want to kick off? Yeah, we can kick off, as I say, with a simpler pre-Night Terrors time. (laughs) Uh, We're going to kick off. So as I say, what we've decided to do is pick three titles from June each and three titles from July each. So kicking things off with my first pick from June, and to absolutely nobody's surprise, it is Batman 136. So strong start, strong start. Strong start indeed. Written by Chip Zdarsky and art in this one is Belen Ortega uh, with the cover by Jorge Jimenez, who's been a long-time Chip Zdarsky um, cohort. But, yeah, I mean, since Chip came on to Batman at issue 125, you know, for me it's been a title that's moved at a breakneck pace, you know, from alternative Gotham to Batman falling from space, something, of course, he had a contingency plan for. Yeah, of course. It's been a blockbuster series that I think's barely paused for breath, but until now, you know, with with issue 136, the reason this made such an impression on me is because it really slows the pace down and manages to catch readers up on everything that's happened in Chip's run so far. So, in a way, this is a perfect jumping on point for new readers. I say in a way because this issue came out and then there's a two-month break. <laughs> but if you're thinking of jumping in, the Batman 136 is a good place to do uh, is to do it. 135... We've chatted about it a little bit before, but it was a love letter to all things The Dark Knights in the last 80 years. You know, it was it was Legacy 900. DC have finally decided to copy Marvel and put the Legacy numbers on there. <laughs> if for no other reason, probably, than to do oversized issues at certain times. But Batman 135, it was a lot of fun to read, despite the high stakes. You know, it was almost lighthearted in places. It was. But Batman 136, to me, is the opposite of that. You know, Zdarsky starts to weave all those threads he's been playing with so far together. So with 136, we find Batman at one of his worst points. You know, he's lost his hands. Uh, Zura and Az still there as a backup in his mind. And worst of all, he's keeping all of this information to himself. You know, Batman as a, as a character, he's always been a loner. You know, no matter how many allies he surrounds himself with. But keeping everything to himself here has put everyone around him in danger. Possibly his greatest weakness. I, I think that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. And... Reading this issue, it was, um, you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm a big Naruto fan as well. And this issue actually reminded me of Naruto quite a lot. And I think that some of it is actually intentional, especially with some of the uh, some of the imagery. Is that because Batman grows nine tails? No. Oh, if only. Oh, look at you, the Naruto knowledge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was sure not it's impossible as an Naruto fan not to draw comparisons with the Jinchuriki sealed inside of Naruto. So the Jinchuriki is a nine tails beast trapped inside of Naruto which gives him extreme powers and also the ability to push him further and faster than he ever should. However the Nine Tails is also dangerous and it's possible at any point that Naruto could lose himself completely to the tail beast. So this is what Zura and Az function is. It's a more dangerous version of Batman. He even has a conversation with Bruce within his head that he knows he can't destroy him because he's going to need him for what's coming. Yeah. And the, the idea is that he's there in case Batman's mind ever comes ever under attack. He's a, the, he's the he backup. He snaps into place. He's the backup. That yeah, is, he's the contingency. Everything's stripped back, you know, and just... Yeah. 100%. And, and as I say, visually, Zoranaz even locked behind bars at one point okay. in his mind. Yeah. That's so like how the Ninetales is uh, portrayed right, okay, as locked in okay. Naruto's mind. But anyway, so Bruce is, you know, throughout this issue, he's filled with doubts as to his effectiveness as a hero as he has returned to his Gotham. He was, of course, in an alternative Gotham prior to this. So, of course, he overcompensates. He attacks Penguin's minions as well as confronting a Catwoman who has broken out of jail and is on the run. But despite all this, she's actually bringing a form of peace to her area of Gotham through her methods. You know, maybe hers are more effective than Bruce's. 
You know, these are the kind of questions rattling around his mind as he continues to doubt himself. But this all leads to Bruce being tricked into a family dinner, which gives us some wholesome imagery, you know, of the Bat family being together, beautifully drawn by um, Belen Ortega. And I may have already ordered a print of it. But even amongst all the laughter in this seemingly positive moment, it's actually clear that Bruce is racked with guilt, self-doubt, and has never appeared so alone. You know, Night Terrors, you know, I know I'm obviously joking about it before this, but it really interrupted these titles at the wrong time. You know, because I can't wait for 137 and to jump back into this run. Uh, that's a dark skin. The likes of Jorge Jimenez, Mike Hawthorne, and Blaine Ortega have been serving up. It's just been genuinely a treat the entire time. And as I say, the imagery at the end of this issue where they're around the Bat family and everybody starts sort of going on fire and Bruce is worried about it all burning down. It's just brilliantly done and as I say it's uh, I love how even the subtitles are like the mind of Bruce Wayne and what he sees my question about that is is that a direct setup for what's going to happen in Night Terrors and Batman not particularly because Night Terrors is all to do with the night Bruce Wayne's parents were killed yeah I mean okay as it nearly always is so (laughs) an obvious thing to do that you just didn't do yeah pretty Um, much but that's because Chip Zdarsky wasn't writing yeah 100% I get yeah I mean I loved um you know, a lot of it is Bruce Wayne, or sorry, Batman, trying to reassert himself. Now he's back in our universe, or the the, the mainline DC universe, whatever you call it, Earth yeah. Zero, mm-hmm. Earth Zero, Earth One, Earth One. No, Earth Zero, sorry, yeah. Earth One is uh, yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, I enjoyed the scene in the the Orgham Hotel. So that's Chip casting back to what he's done with the or to, what to what uh, Ram is doing in Detective Comics. But we've got Penguin's two kids. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, Addison and Aiden Cobblepot mm-hmm. who are now you know crime bosses and uh, that uh, the, the brother Aiden is definitely a mystery he's the the quiet brother I can feel him tense up ready to there he is big fast he's new to Gotham I need to know him <laughs> you know Batman's desperate to get caught up and he's he's fallen behind a bit you know yeah. he's definitely uh, he's definitely an older Batman this is a Batman that is I think somewhere between the Batman we know and the Batman of the Dark Knight oh definitely I mean if you look at how grown up all of the the Bat family are you know there's no way this Bruce Wayne isn't in his 40s maybe older you know Dick Grayson of course has grown up to be Nightwing Jason Todd's here Cassandra Cain's here Stephanie Phillips or not Stephanie Phillips Stephanie Brown's here you know so I I did like the extra humour of how uh, Jason Todd says they tricked me here too, as if he wouldn't turn up willingly, unlike the rest of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Of I course, mean, he's the cool, edgy one. Uh, I don't understand how Barbara Gordon continues to put up with Batman. I mean, <laughs> she does everything, and he's just ignorant to her. <laughs> it's like anything. It's. I mean, for me, it's it's almost her seeking the approval of someone above her, like a father. Yeah, you always have that desperation. No, I think I think Barbara's different because she has a father. Hmm. You know what I mean. I don't think that she's in the same position as the the orphans. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think she necessarily puts up with it. Uh, there's a, a nice uh, meeting with Catwoman. Yeah. Uh, which is obviously is leading into Gotham War uh, as well. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I really, and I love that panel you're talking about in Wayne Manor with, uh, you know, Tim and uh, Tim and Steph making pancakes. And Thomas flicking bacon, 
Damien looking for plates, yeah. saying the cupboards are a mess. Where's the order? Even that is a slightly sad slightly sad line. That yeah. What did you think of the plans below the uh, the backstory there? About the Chip? backstories have been good, especially when Chip's been doing them. It's actually nice to see George Corona on order as well. Of yeah. course, did Middle West. Yeah. Um, all links together, all the field safe stuff. Yeah. Which is really nicely done as well. So, so the, I get, I get the impression that the the feel safe has been trained by the bat, by the Batman of Zen who have whatever you call yeah, it. Yeah, Zenra. Zenra, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. And then look at that. You even get to the back and you get an AW advert and everything. Look that at that. Is Larry. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, um, we'll ignore the flash advert on the very back. Lovely art. Lovely art. Yeah, Blaine Ortega's. She's done. She was doing backups for a while in some of the bat books, and I think yeah, they, she impressed with her work and was able to move on to the main story yeah. so that first page as well that opening page you know you've got Batman bare chested but with a, the hood on Still it like, he is a big man he is cut <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh, whenever you, you look at the proportions you know his, his head fits into his chest maybe three times across <laughs> he's a big guy he's a big guy well um, I will say and I said all the time that uh, Nightwing is DC's best title but I don't think Batman's far behind it at the moment. I think yeah. the work Chip's been doing is fantastic. Tom Taylor just edges it at the moment, though, for me. So, yeah, that was yeah, my first good. choice. Batman 136. What are you hitting us up with? Uh, I have got for you uh, from, I think it was the... Which week of June? Uh, I want to say the first week of June, 7th of June. Uh, Fury number one by Al Ewing. Oh, that's it was a one shot. I really enjoyed yeah. this actually. This was uh, good. Pencils by Scott Eaton, uh, Tom Riley, Adam Kubert, Ramon Rosonis. Um, and it, it was just commemorating 60 years of the world's most dangerous spy. Uh, and uh, I think this just absolutely, absolutely lives up to it. So it is a one shot. Um, I think it's is it 64 pages, uh, something like that. It's it's a series of. Of vignettes uh, that are focused around uh, around Scorpio, so that I mean the official synopsis is that Nick Fury was a hero on the front lines of World War Two and the leader of the Howling Commandos. Uh, thanks to his serum, uh, the Infinity Formula that kept him young, uh, he went on to become a super spy and director of the organization Shield, Supreme Headquarters, until International Espionage Law Enforcement Division, uh, and then. Later on, uh, what was it round? It was round uh, Original Sin, I think. It was when he killed the Watcher, wasn't it? He, he, he reverted to his true age and was given a different role. Uh, and he was given a new base on the moon. And yes, he became the, uh, I guess, the familiar of, of, of Uetu, the Watcher. And he became the man on the wall. And he, he, uh, he failed at that task whenever he murdered the Watcher. Uh, and uh, and then he became the unseen. Uh, you know, he was Earth's, Earth's defense against incoming threats and all sorts. And that's whenever we first met Nicholas Fury Jr., uh, who was, of course, Fury's son, but was absolutely based on Samuel Jackson in, from the, the Avengers movies yeah. and before that, the Nick Fury of the Ultimates. Uh, so uh, he was a younger man, he was an army ranger, he served as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. then, and then he became a he became a secret avenger and uh, he's much more than just his father's son he's he's a he's a fury in his own right you know so so this goes through all the various iterations of fury it takes him from the the howling commando to the agent of shield to the uh to the the, the man on the wall the unseen and then on the nick fury jr so 
it's really and it's all centered around Scorpio who is uh, one of uh, Fury's uh, arch arch ne- probably Fury's arch nemesis who is also his brother uh, so it all it all sort of it's all focused around that the vignette is about um, it's about Nick Fury Jr. And, and him trying to find the Scorpio key and all sorts of stuff and uh, it's just it's action packed <laughs> I mean from start from start to start and then from start to finish and then it goes into it goes into Fury then looking at the Fury files, uh, the original Fury files, and of course in the Fury files he's pulling out comic books of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, and and then those are being reinterpreted uh, <laughs> and and all sorts of stuff. So it's 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 just it's a really cool it's a really cool issue. It's um yeah Fury's been around since nineteen sixty three. Uh, obviously that's been sixty years and. Uh, at that time, Marvel was a new, a new comic book company, mm-hmm. and as someone said, it was doing really good business eating DC's lunch because because uh, effectively Marvel were taking what DC was doing and doing it better. So they took Sergeant Rock and they made Nick Fury mm-hmm. and the Hound Commandos, you know, and that sort of stuff. So so and then you know he was the cigar chumping leader. So this this just takes you through all of the all of the. Have you read this? Did yeah, you, yeah. Did you enjoy it? I did. Uh, yeah. You know, you have a you have a you have a World War Two story of Nick and the Howling Commandos. Uh, you have a like a space based story of of Nick uh, on the moon and the the Scorpio and the, the Scorpio key, and then uh, we finish off with uh, with something a wee bit more up to date. And one of the rare meetings of uh, father and son. Uh, I mean, there was a, I think it was a story called Battle Lines early on, and then Never the Twain Shall Meet. So this was mm-hmm. them them coming together Actually, again meaning. yeah exactly and there's there's almost like another handing handing of the handing of the torch uh and it's it's done in that al Ewing style you know part of it is you know we did the defender series and it was there's, there's part of the vignette that's a wee bit like that and you know each of the each of the i suppose it's three separate stories each of the three separate stories is a different art style that just matches it perfectly um but yeah it's uh it's it's fantastic stuff it's fantastic stuff at uh yeah, uh, finishes with that lovely, the man for the job. <laughs> um, so it looks like uh, it looks like um, by the end of it, you know, Nick Fury Junior is, you know, he's 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 looked through his father's history. He's met his father and, and seen the various roles that he took. You know, the super spy, or the sorry, the you know the the the, the World War Two hero, the super spy, the, the setting up Shield, the Shield agent, the you know, and then you know, as, as he as he moved on, being involved with superheroes and so forth, and you know, he's talking about his destiny being his own destiny, and uh, and it looks like going forward, Nick Fury Junior will be involved with the Watcher. You know, being the being the hand where where UA two can't you know can't interfere. He can watch, but he can't interfere. That doesn't mean Nick Fury Junior can't interfere. <laughs> so it's it's really good stuff, and it it was. I mean, there's a, there's a lovely moment. They've, they've, Nick Fury Senior has finally got a hold of the Scorpio key, and he's going off on his own adventure, you know. And uh, they have a hug. Well, when you do that, come back home, you know. So uh, I'd love, I would love to see a mini series with these two together, you know, back to back, side by side, a father and son story. Yeah, I think it would be beautiful. Uh, any thoughts yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, it's always great when you have those celebration issues because they can basically distill the character down into one book. It's sort of like the DC 80th anniversary character books that you don't always have to have read 10 and 12 issue miniseries and stuff like that. Sometimes uh-huh. you just get a, a really nice uh, character-driven story. Yeah, the, the art styles were great. Um, yeah, I mean, you know me. I love my sort of spy espionage type stuff. So yeah. that was always going to be one I was going to pick up. Yeah, hundred percent. But I mean, it does that. It does. It does the World War Two stuff. It does the spy espionage stuff. It does the the cosmic mode stuff. Whenever it flips to Ramon Rosanas, you know, and that's you know sometimes those different uh, art types annoy me, as you know. Yeah. But in this case, not at all. You no, know, it's well put, when it's well planned, it's well, well put out, well well put together. Um, and yeah, really interested to see what's. I mean, I, I do. I still miss OG Nick Fury. Like, mm-hmm. I really do. I love Nick Fury Junior. But I still, you know. So it was nice to see him. And you missed the half. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, not quite. You like Samuel L. Jackson, but you missed the half. <laughs> I hate that people think of Nick Fury as the half. <laughs> but you, you say that, but you know, is David Hasselhoff not star of one of your favorite shows of all time? Knight Rider exactly. of course yeah but, uh, I'm so glad you didn't say Baywatch he'll always be Michael Knight like, <laughs> you know but yeah I thought it, I just thought it was I just thought it was a brilliant brilliantly presented uh, brilliantly brilliantly uh, written story yeah um, you know just all through the action the action of, of original Nick Fury seen through the eyes of his, his son and uh, unlocking the decades old mystery of who is Scorpio uh, yeah brilliant stuff Brilliant stuff. Nice. So Fury 60th anniversary one shot for Keith's first pick. The next one I move on to is probably one if I hadn't have picked it. I think Keith probably would have. Yeah, buddy. Uh, this is Night Fever, not to be confused with a song that has been in my head all day long. Uh, written by the most consistently brilliant creative team in comics. Uh, Edward Baker on writing duties, Sean Phillips on art, and Jacob Phillips on colours. And oh, man. And again, they just they continue to break new ground. They continue to eschew the traditional single issue format of release. We have had we have had pulp. We've uh, had pulp. We've had criminal books. My heroes have always been junkies. Yeah, but even I mean, and this and this sort of run since they sort of well, my heroes have always been junkies was sort of their first. It yeah, I guess yeah. Released yeah, yeah. as a hardcover graphic. Then it was pulp. Then it was the reckless books. Five of five of them. Yeah, and now yeah. we're on to this, and uh, yeah, they're serving us up a fully formed original graphic novel, and and it may be a break from their excellent reckless series that we just mentioned, but it is every bit as engrossing and atmospheric as the adventures of Ethan Reckless. And uh, I should also state, you know, I I've talked about this before. I'm a big fan of listening to movie scores while reading books. Yes. And uh, this just screamed the Blue Velvet soundtrack to me. <laughs> oh, it was perfection from the one and only Angelo Badalamenti. Suffice to say, marriage made in heaven. But uh, getting to the, the, the brass tacks of Night Fever, you know, in Europe on a business trip, Jonathan Webb can't sleep. Instead, he finds himself wandering the night in a strange foreign city with his new friend, the mysterious and violent Rainer, as his guide. Rainer shows Jonathan the hidden world of the night, a world without rules or limits. Now, if I were to compare Night Fever to any other Brubaker Phillips work, it would probably be Fatal. The reason being that Night Fever doesn't really conform to any one genre. You know, it's a foyeristic thriller, it has hints of the supernatural, it's a midlife crisis story, it's a detective story, it's a murder mystery, it's a journey into the unknown, and it's utterly, utterly compelling, you know. Brubaker has always been a master of pacing and keeping you turning those pages. 
and that he's firing on all cylinders here. You know, there's great character work. You know, our point of view character, you know, I, I hesitate to call him a protagonist because of everything he actually gets up to in the book, you know, between being unfaithful, between going places he shouldn't go. But the point of view character, he's perhaps the most flawed of everyone and, you know, there's an intriguing mystery that you just want to get to the bottom of. You know, you want to find... You want to find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. The web has fallen down and you're also unsure the whole way through if he's going to make it out. Uh, looking at the arts side of things, you know, Philip's art, that's both Sean and Jacob, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's up there with the best work these guys have ever produced, I think. I mean, there are brilliant panel layouts the whole way through it. There is an inventiveness to it. There's overlapping visuals. There's, you know, full dark pages with just one singular imagery. The colours are vibrant the whole way through it. You know, really neon almost some of the colours, especially when they're exploring the uh, exploring the underworld. You know, these colours are really lush and there's dread and atmosphere just dripping off every single page. And they almost make it very otherworldly. You know, they paint the world very much beyond our own. You know, layers that only the rich and beautiful can access. You know, the other thing it made me think of was uh, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Uh-huh. You know, another tale where we follow the woefully unprepared into the darkness where their curiosity might just destroy them. So, yeah, I mean, given Reckless is Brubaker and Phillips' current odyssey and probably their bread and butter, to be honest, I think Night Fever could have been viewed as a lesser work, you know, a palate cleanser in between the arcs of Reckless, you know, to reset and recharge the creative juices. But it's absolutely nothing of the sort. Uh, it's arguably up there, I think, with the best work they produced. I mean, it's very, it's very different. Uh, Which is one of its strengths. It's very different in style. It's it's a much more European style. Very much so. Uh, of comic, uh, which obviously fits with the fact it's set in a European city, uh, and the, the protagonist is American. Yeah. Uh, he's a he's a he's a publicist publisher. He's a publisher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think I think the the style that the style that um, has been used, I think. Is, is Sean Phillips is, is channeling a European style which is exactly I think what Breaker's writing for and I read that that this series was was illustrated using a style called Double Up uh, in which the the artist draws the book of the, the on a page twice the size of the final product which then allows you to pack in a whole load of details so yeah. whenever it's shrunk down it's uh, detailed. Yeah, exactly. I think so, um, and I think I think Jacob has followed up with the the colors in the same way, and that European style. But I mean, the he he finds himself Webb finds himself in embroiled in a plot that he doesn't he doesn't quite understand. He doesn't have any control of, and he slowly gains control of. Yeah, and I mean, I, I definitely need to. I definitely, as with all of the these books I definitely need to but it's an illusion of control the whole time that's the thing he thinks he's getting the grips with it and he's confident going through it and he's saying the right things to the right people but it's just this illusion of control he has the whole way through he's well who do you think who do you think or what do you think Rainer is um I mean you you, you could look at it as a fight club type thing that's sort of how I was looking at it you know with but that that's like you know, he's almost willed him into existence yeah, as yeah. his more confident other but I'd have to go through the book again and check how many times Rainer interacts with other people especially if um, if Webb's not in the same 
not in the same uh, panel, so to speak. But yeah, yeah just, it just has this atmosphere and dread the whole way through. And the colors are a big, big part of that. Um, but yeah, it's just another book that just masters of their craft, what these guys yeah, do. Yeah, 100%. It's, there's, it's almost, it feels, it feels hypnotic. Uh, it's the, the colors, you know, the change in, in colors with the action. So for example, there's a page there where uh, Webb uh, and Rainer, I think, are robbing a place and a security guard comes in and everything is these muted blues and greys. And then suddenly there's a, there's a, there's a panel of reds and oranges as he as he clocks the guard and he goes down you know on the side of the head and he goes down you know in a trail of blood uh, and then it's the same then there's a car chase and it's a lot of muted colors except where there's action where the the molotov cocktail hits the yeah so it, it's it's it almost feels like a trip it almost feels like a trip which i suppose this is all set against the background of the fact that webb can't sleep he's yeah. an insomniac uh while he's away here and he's but he's also he's away from his family, so he's he's another person, or he feels yeah. like he can. It's uh, it's it's really fantastic. It's very noir. Uh, it's uh, I mean, there's this this was obviously going to be a must read for for both of us, mm-hmm. and I I I'd like to think that you know neither of us are part of the cult where Brewberg and Phillips do a thing, and we automatically like it. It's be- we like it because it's fucking brilliant yeah. you know it's uh, yeah it's definitely it's definitely something that I that I want to read again and uh, I think there's 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 something there you know there's I think we've talked quite a few times about you know trying to redo book clubs and things like that and I think something like this would be perfect for it because obviously with Reckless you've got volumes upon volumes whereas this is very much a one and done yeah but yeah. there's definitely depths and layers to yeah. this that are really that are definitely worth you know um, a conversation or two. It's one that uh, that stuck with me. Yeah. Whenever I finished reading it, I was like, uh, I didn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> and strangely enough, for me, and again, this is testament to the quality of Brew Baker and Phillips. Normally, my thicker issues or graphics go to the bottom of the pile. Yes. This went to the top. Uh huh. As soon as I get home, I literally sat in my balcony. I got a whiskey uh-huh. and I stuck my earphones in and I listened to Blue Velvet while reading it and it just disappeared into that world uh-huh. you know it's because uh, it just sort of dre- it's just very dreamy over you, you know? yeah absolutely so uh, yeah loved it um, Night yeah. Fever Brewbaker Phillips Brewbaker Phillips and Phillips Brewbaker and the Phillipses Phillipses absolutely okay what have you got next time uh, so from the same week as Night Fever uh, 14th of June but uh, taking it in a slightly different direction. Obviously, I wasn't going to miss this because it is Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici. So the uh, the Oblivion song team. Oblivion song team, absolutely. Uh, but I got much, much more than I was expecting. I am so surprised <laughs> you managed to not have this spoiled for you. Well, you know, you know how I am. I do not. I mean, I use the internet on a daily basis, but I don't. And, I, and I'm occasionally on Twitter, occasionally on Facebook, but I don't, uh, I neither seek out spoilers nor do I investigate things that I know that I'm already yeah. interested in. It's the same way as I don't watch trailers. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to be there. I want to be there. For it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Void Rivals uh, from Image, uh, it's issue one, and it, uh, it starts with the crash landing of a, an unnamed, uh, as yet unnamed pilot um, in this uh, sort of 
like a barren wasteland of, of armor, and he's got this. What's what we we find out is called a handroid. It's like a, a glove, a gauntlet that is an artificial intelligence that guides him and can can help him, uh, you know, try and heal himself and whatnot. Um, uh, so this pilot's called Darek, and he is from a race uh, of people. Uh, he crash lands on the planet, and he finds he's crash landed alongside the member, a pilot from an opposing race, the race that they're... they're a rival, if you will. A rival. Avoid rival, indeed. <laughs> and so up until a point, very much, I mean, it, it's Lorenzo de Felici's art is fantastic. Lovely line work set against the backdrop of the, uh, the, the star-filled galactic sky on this barren moon. Um, there's a lot of you know the two are the two are fighting they're just at each other you know and there's there was something about this that immediately uh brought to mind have you ever seen the we mentioned dennis quaid for the second time in this podcast uh the uh the dennis quaid uh movie enemy mine no never seen it it's a great movie uh was an 80s late 80s mid 80s movie um and it was about it was set in the future uh, it was about two about Dennis Quaid, human pilot, and uh, a Drac, I think, was the the alien, this lizard like alien that landed on the planet and mm-hmm. they are they've been at war, last Starfighter style, for decades. The two of them land on the planet. Uh, they are the only two things that they can depend on and they're enemies and then they slowly become yeah. friends and more than friends yeah they realise if they want to get yeah. off they have to help each more other more than that they, they, they're stuck they're stuck there and they have to save one another you mm-hmm. know despite the fact you know and then over over years they become friends and then something else comes to the planet and you know they, they it's, it's a really good movie uh, really enjoyable movie uh, well worth well worth a look uh, who was it that played uh, Lou Gossett Jr. played played the drag actually, uh, who was in a, a whole lot of movies at that time. But anyway, so that's the crack there. They they discover in their in their differences, their similarities. Whenever they start putting stuff aside, they begrudgingly start working together to salvage their two ships to make one ship in order to get off the uh, to get off the the planet. Um, they discuss their cultures. They discuss the war. They, you know, communication is everything in these. Yeah. You know that. Uh, you know now they're communicating. They're starting to realize that they're they understand one another, um, and uh, they're more uh, more alike than they than they seem. And then you know, in the process of searching the nearby area, they discover another downed ship that doesn't match anything they've seen in their databases. It's neither Agorian nor Zertonian in origin, and. Uh, they par it up uh, with the par they have, and you just hear. One of one of Kirkman's famous page turns, which we've become so familiar with reading the Walking, Walking Dead books, uh, where we're confronted by to anyone who to someone who knows not really a lot but understands a little bit of pop culture. It's clearly a transformer to those of us who uh, who understand. It is Jetfire, <laughs> you know, and he, you know, he, he talks about, he introduces himself as Jetfire, he talks about being a Cybertronian scientist, and he, I was absolutely like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, you know, he's been there for millions of years, you know, and he literally transforms, he's out of there. and he flies off, leaving these two still <laughs> stranded. So it's almost like a little interlude in the story. Uh, but not a very helpful transformer, by the way. 
He's he's clearly got other things in his mind. He's just woken up after a million years or so. And, yeah, uh, you would think he would, you know, thank the people who woke him up. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, guys. Do you need help? Would you like help off this planet? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I mean, they're obviously a wee bit stunned by this. Uh, whenever they take off their helmets to introduce themselves to one another, they realize that they are exactly the same, same skills, skin color, same, you know, faces. The only difference is slightly different shapes on their foreheads. You know, this is this is clearly. Uh, you know this is close to home this is you know Catholics and Protestants this is you yeah. know, Israelis and Palestinians this is you know uh, but yeah it was just you know a great story in its own right a lovely yeah. story which is the important uh, thing yeah, you know, it didn't feel like a gimmick it absolutely wasn't a gimmick but the fact that you know uh, and then on the on the, the, the text page the letters page at the back um, you know, Robert Kirkman asks, "What is this? Is this the coolest thing ever, or is this the coolest thing ever?" <laughs> I think it's the latter. Uh, and he explains that the secret site Void Rivals takes place in the new Energon universe. Uh, what is that? You say it's a shared universe that will include an assortment of our upcoming Transformers and GI Joe comics from Skybound, as well as the new world of characters created by yours truly and the esteemed Lorenzo De Felici in this particular book and whatever comes next. So absolutely phenomenal then you turn the page yeah. and there's a beautiful Darren Moore and Johnson drawn Optimus Prime Optimus Prime uh, advertising Transformers 1 uh, we have the announcement of Duke uh, by Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley and Cobra Commander by Joshua Williamson and John Riley so October 2023 December 2023 and January 2024 so absolutely phenomenal uh, stuff I mean no one does comics better than Robert. No Kirkman. one plays with the industry no or subverts uh, expectations. Or understands the medium with so much love yeah. as Robert. He is clearly still a fan of comics and is as excited as anybody. And I would imagine that that exactly how he read it was exactly how he intended it to be read, unspoiled. Yeah, you know, which is something you know. So it was just it just did exactly what it needed to do. And I mean, that team, Lorenzo De Felici, his art is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, great stuff. So. So yeah, I'm excited for this book as it moves forward. I'm excited as it weaves its way through the Energon universe. I'm excited for Transformers, Daniel Warren Johnson, uh, lately of Dave Harbo, uh, and Peter Ray Bill, and One Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Dead Earth. Uh, so what were your feelings on this? You're not as big a Transformers or G.I. Joe guy as I would be. I'm not, but I'm a bigger Daniel Warren Johnson fan. Um, yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it because the story was strong without the, yeah, yeah. the Transformers link. Uh-huh. You know, anything Kirkman writes, we're going to jump on, you know, whether it's Firepower, whether it's Die, 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 whether it's Walking Dead. Because as, as you say, he, he loves the industry, yeah, yep. you know, and I don't think anybody goes to the lengths he goes to to try and surprise people in a world where surprises are becoming few and far between. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, to give you an example, Chris said to me about a week before this came out, oh, oh there's, there's, there's scuttlebutt on the internet that this is going to lead to Transformers. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Chris messaged me on the Sunday night. Obviously, we got our deliveries on a Monday. And he said, uh, just so you know, it's on the message boards. People have been getting spoiler posters for what Void Rivals is. Uh, don't look at the posters when you get your delivery. You want to keep it spoiler free. Uh-huh. And there was actually a big Transformers poster in my delivery. Right, okay. Which I think I gave to Roddy. Uh-huh. Um, See, Roddy's getting everything these days. Uh, you got a Star Trek poster. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm only joking. Rule playing poster. <laughs> In fairness, Raleigh did win the Enfield Gang Masker poster, which I don't even know if he knows you. No, he's in, he's in, in he's too Portugal. busy loving it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, it's it was just... A, a, yeah, just great stuff. 
But no, to, to bring it back to that sort of surprising element, obviously you were three, four weeks behind by the time you read it. And not that I know you would search out spoilers, but just I'm surprised you didn't overhear something in the store, just yep. in casual conversation uh-huh. or someone letting something slip in the group chat or something. So I was I was really envious that you'd actually managed yeah, to yeah, avoid yeah. it. Which oh, was I, read it, I read it just as a, a Kirkman and Felicity, the Felicity yeah. book. Which is know, the best way to read it. Yeah, 100%. And... Uh, yeah, just excited for excited for what's to come, and it was so funny. I was telling you earlier on about the board game afternoons that we've been having, mm-hmm. uh, and it was we were playing uh, myself and Stuart and Roddy. We were round uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I went, Roddy, have you read Void Rivals? And he was like, Yes. And I were like, Stuart, have you read Void Rivals? And he was like, No. So I went up and got the issue. I went, Just you sit there quietly for ten minutes and read that. <laughs> And he was like, oh, I know that sound. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very, very cool. Very cool. So, uh, award for the biggest comic book surprise of the year so far goes once again to Robert Kirkman. To Robert Kirkman. Yeah, Void Rivals, it's three issues deep at the moment. And as Keith said, it's kicking off that Energon universe, which will then link to Transformers and G.I. Joe. So there's, there's been a few wee, uh, a few wee uh, a few more wee things in Void Rivals as well. I haven't read number three yet, but I've read number two. Yeah, I've yeah. read two and three, but there's there's already links to other uh, lines yeah. as well, so it's pretty cool I'll stuff. certainly look forward to issue three in my small pile to be read this week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, moving on to my last pick from June, I've already had a DC pick, I've already had an indie pick, so it only made perfect symmetrical sense to have a Marvel pick, and that pick is Ultimate Invasion yes. number one. Uh, nice 56-pager, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Bran Hitch. Now, we spoke about this a little bit before, but just to sort of reiterate, I mean, the Ultimate Universe, it's something I missed the first time around. You know, this idea you could update all of the origins of classic Marvel by having their origins take place in the modern day, as opposed to the 1960s, was revolutionary at the time. And I think it provided a level of freshness that Marvel arguably needed at the time as well. And, you know, the idea had always intrigued me. So, you know, as soon as I saw the Ultimate Spider-Man was going to start hitting the omnibus format, I knew I had my way in. I mean, everyone talks about that run. Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Bagley. And so far there have been two volumes covering almost 80 issues. And I devoured both of them upon their release. Then I moved on to the Ultimate Omnibus and wow, do do Marvel Studios (laughs) owe Mark Miller and Brian Hitch some royalties. I mean, they basically set the template upon which the whole MCU has been built. You know, I've picked up the first Ultimate X-Men omnibus as well, but I've yet to indulge in that. But uh, yeah, that brings us to Ultimate Invasion now. Apparently, this was originally the brainchild of Donny Cates. Uh, He even gets a special thanks in the credits of the book. Uh, And it is ultimately... See what I did there? I see what you did. Brought us to the team of Jonathan Hickman and the original Ultimates artist, Bran Hitch. So, boy, it delivers. You know, if there's one thing Hickman specializes in, it's big ideas and broad concepts. You know, he delivered 2015 Secret Wars, which effectively killed off the Ultimate Universe. So maybe it's serendipity that he revives it. Maybe it's a plan. The man's a long, a long planner. Well, as I say, the whole idea is that Donny Cates was the one who pushed this. And if you think about how the character of the Maker was so heavily utilized in his Venom run. Yeah. For example. Yeah, I mean, he. Yeah, that's when the Maker, the Maker sort of reappeared and was uh, and, and exited. Um, but. In no uncertain terms, this is a Hickman story. Oh no, he's yeah. very much taken the ball and run with it. 
But uh, yeah, if you go to the very sort of opening credits of the book, there is a special thanks to Donny Cates. I mean, obviously he had some personal problems recently. He was in an accident and, you know, even struggles apparently to remember um, some of the stuff he's worked on. But uh, let me see here. We're, we're just cycling through so that Keith can see this special thanks to Donny Cates because I confirmed it was here today. It was on one of... Uh, there we go. There we go. Specialized. Okay. Cool. So, um, I mean, yes. I'm going to say I'm glad that it's Hickman right now. Well, as I say, you know, maybe it's serendipity he revives yeah. it. You know, he's revolutionized the X-Men with the Krakoa era. And he now has a set... Uh, he has now set his sights on the whole Marvel Universe. So, the cosmic Marvel Universe, yeah. And that's before God's come along, uh-huh. exactly. So, yeah, the Maker is a character. He's a, he's a psychotic version of Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe. And he's waging war. I mean, he wasn't originally a psychotic. He was originally Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe. He mm-hmm. was originally the Reed Richards. It was he's 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 Reed. I mean, <laughs> if you read the Ultimate Fantastic Four, he when I mean, he starts like a lot younger version of Reed Richards, and mm-hmm. and just through the way the story went, he becomes Reed Richards through the murder darkly. Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, I think it's really cool that they made Reed Richards into the villain of the Ultimate Fantastic Four. <laughs> Well, I mean, a great bulk of the start of this book, it's spent showing how he's been kept secluded, yep. under arrest and hidden from the world, and how he breaks free from those chains. I mean, he does it in a really smart, twisted and gruesome way, uh-huh. which is really interesting, because obviously Reed Richards is always, you know, the smartest man in the world. Yep. But this one has a hint of the gruesome sort of violence to him as well. Do you notice they use a weapon that clearly is the Radiant from Radiant Black? <laughs> I was thinking more of Interstellar. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, his perfect plan, it does get slightly upset by someone he hired not being present and a replacement sent in his place. So this small alteration is enough for those in charge to realise that it's no longer Reed Richards that they have in their custody. So, you know, Hickman, he's, he's always been great at juggling a large cast of characters you know, but making each voice unique and he's on top form here, you know, there's, this, this is what I was talking about in our previous pod that I wrote something I thought you would really appreciate, but there are times when I believe Hickman's ideas can almost be too big uh-huh. and can get slightly away from him. Ironically enough for me, he's the Marvel Universe version of what Scott Snyder and the DC Universe <laughs> is to you. to me, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> but uh, I think in this, I think he echoes the original Ultimate Universe tone of Mark Miller, I think. You know, he aims... For a large-scale blockbuster with plenty of twists, still plenty of intelligence and big ideas, but it feels very blockbustery for for Hickman, and he writes a truly terrifying foe in the maker, you know, and we're right to worry, I think, for the heroes, given what they're up against. You know, there's more than enough breadcrumbs laid out in issue one without going into too much specificity regarding the maker's plans, but letting us know that the Marvel Universe should be on the highest of alerts. Bran Hitch is an artist who I can sometimes take or leave, but I think his art is fantastic here. It's, yeah. it's great having him back in the Ultimate Universe as you feel right at home with the visual style of the issue. There's bombastic set pieces, large-scale pages, and plenty of great subtle details in the faces of the characters. I mean, as I say, I must admit, I wasn't the biggest fan of Hitch's work recently on Venom. You know, when Cafu came in, I thought it the, the book elevated a little bit. But this book's gorgeous, and it's a major selling point of an admittedly larger cover price. But the price may have been a little steeper than most modern comics, but I thought it was a fantastic value for money, you know, given yeah. the quality on the show. Chunky book, too. Yeah, 56 pages, you know, and yeah, I can't wait for the next issues to come out before a, a proper rebirth happens for the uh, the Ultimate Universe yeah, in general. Well, well, let's see. I mean, it's it's uh, it was great. One of the scariest things for me, actually, was 
was seeing the Illuminati back together for the first time since Hickman's New Avengers, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Illuminati of Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Black Panther, Professor X wearing a Cerebro helmet, uh, Submariner and uh, Black Bolt and Reed Richards. Are we to believe that that is the um, Xavier from Krakoa era or yeah. is that yeah. is that a previous version or anything? No, that's no? that's that's our Xavier, so is, is Xavier still infected with the, the sinister gene or, or what? But yeah, it's great stuff. There was a, there's a a two-page spread or two or two and a bit, three-page, four-page spread where uh, the maker comes to find Miles Morales, who is, of course, the only other survivor from the Ultimate Universe yeah. who was brought across, uh, and he refers to him as, he refers to him as a brother. You are Miles Morales and I am your brother. What? And, uh, of course, Miles doesn't really know. He doesn't remember his history. Um, and what's significant about this that you may notice is that you'll notice that the maker talks in lowercase yeah the ultimate universe yeah, language ultimate universe whereas uh, Miles uh, you know a lot of his stuff is but yeah it's it's uh, it's interesting Miles actually is very varies uh, no he doesn't no he's all he's all uppercase so yeah it's uh, he leaves him a card so that that exchange I was waiting to see what would happen there because of, you know Hickman made a big deal about Miles Morales being brought yeah, over into the main universe and his family uh, so yeah I'm just I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, the Illuminati go at it with the Maker and are foiled by him. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, when he gathers up, you know, a Krakoan gate and a whole lot of different bits and pieces that are significant. And then the epilogue is kind of interesting, you know, with Peter and Gwen uh, at the, uh, you know, the, 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 the display at the Osborne Industries or what we assume to be Osborne Industries. And, the maker taking the place of, of Norman Osborn. It's it's really interesting stuff. And preventing Peter from being bitten. Pre- preventing Peter from becoming uh, Spider-Man and therefore taking one one more piece yeah. off the board. It's it's great. I mean, it's Hickman. It's going to involve multiple universes. It's going to involve the multiverse. Uh, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Really looking forward to it. So yeah, so that pretty much finishes me off for June with my third pick. One Marvel, one DC, one Indie. And that leaves you with one last choice from the month of yeah. June. Yeah, so uh, this particular issue was from the 21st of June, the week of the 21st of June, so the third week of June. Uh, and it's uh, it's from IDW. Dungeons and Dragons, Saturday Morning Adventures number four, so the end of a four-issue series. Uh, by uh, by our friend uh, David M. Boer. Uh something to say about that well we'll be seeing that fine gentleman in person very very soon as he is coming to the store for a signing uh, second last Saturday in September I believe it's the 23rd off the top of my head it is yeah and uh, we're very much looking forward to hosting him absolutely looking forward to looking forward to having a chat with him hopefully looking forward to getting a drink with him uh, you know and having a bit of chat about uh a bit of a chat about Canto, a bit of a chat about Firefly, a bit of a chat about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I think he and I are going to get on very well. We get on very well, you know, <laughs> whenever we've spoken to him. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know we line just to say looking forward to, to seeing you over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so uh, cool. I could have, I could have full day of karate the next day, so we just have to be careful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, no better man to uh, to uh, represent one of my formative. Um, one of my formative childhood experiences with the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, because that's exactly what this is about, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. So, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been talking a lot, I suppose, with the release of Barbie and different things, the movie, about how so many cartoons of our era were actually just extended TV commercials. Mm-hmm. Transformers, He-Man, G.I. Joe. Thundercats. Thundercats. All of those things were designed to sell sell toys. Dungeons and Dragons was a wee bit different because while there was a Dungeons and Dragons game, it was very niche uh, and there was no toy per se mm-hmm. to sell, you know. So it sold imagination. It sold imagination, that. And uh, if you're not familiar, in the early 1980s, six kids, Hank, Eric, Diana, Presto, Sheila and Bobby were magically transported to the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Equipped with powerful weapons by the mysterious Dungeon Master, they quest across the Forgotten Realms, searching for a way home. With this party split inside a dungeon and by the reveal that not everyone is about is sure about returning home, Eric and Diana fight to reunite their team both physically and emotionally. Helped by Felona, a girl with, with powerful magic and a mysterious past, they free their friends from the manipulative imposter an imposter, Felona, who is actually the villain Venger, determined to take their weapons for himself. So, I mean, it's a four-issue series. Uh, the reason I chose the last issue is because it allowed me to, to sum up the, the whole lot. And it's just... I mean, if were you familiar with the Dungeons & Dragons series, mm-hmm. the TV yeah. series? I've got the entire box set on the... <laughs> of course you do. DVD. Physical media for if the win again. So, so, yeah, I mean... George uh, Cabadai is, is the uh, is the artist on it, and he just does a great job. He does a great job of representing the characters that I know and love, uh, in in comic form. And uh, those things, try, it's a slightly more weird to say it because it's a cartoon, but it's a slightly more cartoony version of those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Venger looks right, and Hank looks right, and Presto looks right, and their magical weapons looks right. And what what David has done is he has. I feel like he has uh, taken... I mean, because I mean, a cartoon's a cartoon. It's a 25-minute episode, and it, it hits all the tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, it hits certain things. There's Venger, the great evil. Uh, very often uses the dragon Tiamat, uh, as his, or is, is, is foiled by the dragon Tiamat. All he wants is to steal the kid's weapons uh, in order that he can take over the realms. Uh, the, the, the idea that it's the Forgotten Realms, it was always called the Realms... But the idea that it's the Forgotten Realms, which is a specific Dungeons and Dragons game world, mm-hmm. um, is is kind of new. They've kind of segued that in, and it was I don't know if you saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie, what are most these? The most recent one, no, oh, you should. I've been told for really, really enjoy it, but it takes place in the Forgotten Realms, and these characters appear in cameo in it, uh, which was great. So they're they're pretty big at the minute, pretty hot at the minute. But what David does is he he manages to hit the tropes that they hit in every episode. Venger wanting to steal the weapons, uh, usually using trickery to do so. In this case, he made himself an imposter of the, the, the magician, Felona, the wee girl that they met. Uh, and he was the one holding her, or was he the one holding her hostage? You can't remember. But, you know, it, it hits all the tropes, but it also subverts them and it extends them. Mm-hmm. So he does more in these, these four issues than any single episode of the cartoon ever did. Or, in fact, probably the whole series ever did to expand their characters because... You know, every episode they were trying to get home. Usually at the end of the episode they had an opportunity to get home, but they couldn't use it because they had to opt for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time we come around to here, some of them aren't even sure they want to go home. They've been in this world as long as they were in their own world, mm-hmm. and they're like, hold on, maybe we should just be content with the lives we have and realise that we're never going to get home. And Hank, who's the leader, is all... But no, we're, we analyse Hank's reason for wanting to get home and why he feels that he 
has to be the one to lead them home and uh, it's it's just so it's just so cool it, it's it's like an episode of Dungeons and Dragons but done better and, uh, and I, I mean I'm not sure if David would, would thank me for saying that because I'm quite sure he's as much a fan of this as I am but he has he has he has done more with four issues than, than any than, than any particular episode did and it, it just looks great doing it uh, the characterizations are phenomenally good but also grown from what they were so yeah I mean I, probably not I, it's too much to say it's a fandom I know, Dun- I know you're not a Dungeons Dragons player you know you watch the series but yeah this is I don't think you read the book did you no but yeah it's just it's so it's such a beautiful looking book I mean you can see how how everything pops uh, beautifully the line work is fantastic the colours are, are fantastic everything works and it's always the trick whenever you're looking at a licensed property like Firefly mm-hmm. you know like uh, well maybe to a lesser extent Aliens or, or Predator you have to have the thing looking the way it's supposed yeah. to look and the same way yeah. and Star Trek's the same you know you have to have the characters looking the way because those char- people love those characters they have to look the way they're supposed to look so and all of these characters look the way they're supposed to look they don't look the same mm-hmm. but they look the way they're supposed to look you know so that's really really important there's uni the unicorn that always stopped them from getting home <laughs> so yeah it's just it's just great stuff I can't I can't talk highly enough about it four issues done in four um, I think they're doing some other Saturday morning adventure stuff in the season. yeah there's been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. Saturday morning adventures obviously based on the, the cartoon as well so yeah so it's it's really it's really beautiful really fantastic stuff it says the end until the next adventure uh, and I really hope there's a next adventure um, there's a wee there's a couple of wee weird uh uh I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're deliberate Easter eggs, but uh, Dungeon Master, <laughs> your Dungeon Master always disappears. You know, he says something mysterious and slightly not informative at the start of every episode, sets them off on their adventure, and then appears at the end to congratulate them and give them something pointless. Mm-hmm. He does exactly the same here. He appears at the end because they had sent them, they had sent them off to get snacks, and he comes back with these spicy potatoes, spicy fried potatoes. Now they're a significant thing in the world of Dragonlance, which is another. Dungeons and Dragons word Otic spiced potatoes I wonder is that deliberate in David's part or mm. or just accidental or just a little easter egg yeah absolutely so, <clears throat> so yeah it's uh, yeah it's, it's just it's a, a really lovely book really lovely four issue book if you're a fan of the original Dungeons and Dragons I would hope it's coming out in trade paperback yeah just I was looking it up there to see if it would have been out in time for the signing but it's slated to come out end of October uh-huh. uh, so there will be a trade paperback from IDW collecting all four issues so lovely we're going to go from the month of June into the month of July and we're going to go from something ridiculously wholesome to something ridiculously adult well what did you think of July generally July was uh, I, I think I spoke about it a wee bit in the intro but basically my my numbers were down just because Night Terrors came along, uh, all the major DC titles were on hold, yeah, yeah. a few Marvel titles coming to an end. Um, you know, I expect my numbers to jump up significantly come September, October, as uh-huh. there's so many great number ones and, and new titles on the horizon that I'm very much looking forward to. So, uh-huh. yeah, July, as I said before, 75 titles and over half of them were in the 41 issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I was ahead of you again by nine this time. A uh, few fewer DC. It was an eleven DC. Double your Marvel forty two, but it was coming up just behind you with thirty one and here forty one. <laughs> so not too far behind then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was a pretty. It was a pretty good month overall. 
uh, was my feeling. Uh, well, one thing I'll say with numbers coming slightly down is that there's still a real emphasis on quality there. Uh-huh. You know, yep. I just think we're we're not afraid to trim the fat a little bit at the moment. Oh, 100%. You know, if yeah. something yep. doesn't yep. grab us, there's always something else to read. So I think we're trimming a little bit. So although the numbers are going down, the quality levels sort of stay in the same. I, I, think, it, I think it is. Um, I mean, the Star Trek stuff this month was really strong as we kicked high, high, high gear in a day of blood. Um, there was, as we had the return of um, Once Upon a Time, what did you call it? Once, the End of the World. Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. Uh, Lord of the Jungle finished, which was um, Dan Jurgens. That was a phenomenal six-issue mini. Uh, they can't call it Tarzan because of licensing reasons, yeah, but it is Tarzan. a perfect Tarzan story. <laughs> it's absolutely great. I know you're not a fan of Tarzan necessarily, but I would. I'm very happy to lend you those six issues. I think you really enjoy them. Uh, Mark Wade is really getting in on the the DC stuff. Yeah, he's secretly taking over a corner of the DC uh-huh. universe between um, his world's finest Teen Titans stuff, between his Batman Superman world's yeah. finest stuff. Um, and I have no problem with that. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Wildcats is killing it at DC. Wildcats great. Yeah, yeah I'm um, really really enjoying uh, Wildcats. We had a recent uh, inclusion of Batman, which is always nice for. And uh, Stephen Mooney's back on the Rocketeer with Den of Thieves mm-hmm. uh, on the pulpy side of stuff. So that's that was really really good. Um, second issue of Void Rivals was class. Um, something that's killing the children. Uh, some great stuff. Uh, Thirty one. Yeah, that uh, the the storyline with the what do you call her? Uh, the absolute psycho. Oh, another one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And the second issue of Vicious Circle. I haven't read it yet. Uh, it's still in my pile because it was a, a big silly size book. It was a big silly size book. It goes to the bottom of my pile. Um, I mean, artistically, I would say that was the best book of the month. It didn't make it to my 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 pools, my my picks, mm-hmm. but artistically phenomenal. Um, Ghost Rider really strong. Was that the issue where he goes to hell? Uh, Ghost Rider? Yeah. Was uh, that 15? I might have been 15. Could have been. There was uh, a great one-off issue where he basically had to go into hell. And the only thing I could think was I wish that had been like a four-issue arc because lots to explore. Well, yeah. It? I mean, it's interesting because uh, Johnny Blaze used to be the king of hell. Yeah. He was the, you know, yeah, that's how the original, the Howard Mackey Ghost Rider series ended with mm-hmm. him as the king of hell. And Incredible Hulk, the new Incredible Hulk series. Great stuff so along, far. Lovely. So... Immortal um, Hulk feelings to that, and you know what? Of the of the super massive universe stuff at the minute, Rogue Son is where it's yeah, at. Like it's, Pirates it's killing it. Yeah, I so, think it's pretty great. Yeah. Though Radiant Black also killed the decision as to who will wield the Radiant. Yeah, I mean Radiant Black though they're doing this thing now where there's going to be two issues for each issue. So a cover A and a cover B, and cover A is going to show if one of them's picked, it goes this way. If the other one's picked, it goes this way. But there's only like four or five pages difference in each issue. Mother, yeah, they didn't tell us about it, right? And then the issue twenty six arrived, and we were comped equal amounts of issues. So say I'd ordered ten, I was receiving twenty, and I was like, "Why is? Why am I receiving this?" I mean, because the I mean, it comes off the the fact there was a there was an online poll. Yeah, for who should be, for who should be yeah. the radiant. You know? So for the next sort of four issues, they're doing like two branching issues. Oh yeah! Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, that's annoying. But when they collect it and trade, what they're going to do is it's going to be twenty five A and twenty five B, twenty six A, twenty six B, twenty seven A, twenty seven B, and then the next trade will be twenty nine A, twenty etc. 
Oh, I, I mean, I like the idea. I like, I like how they're playing with the format, but... They gave us no forewarning for it, though. It's not like it was solicited or yeah. anything, so it's been a little one that we've been trying to play catch-up with people. So Okay, uh, all right, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway... Here's what we'll do. You collect the A's, I'll collect the B's, and we'll swap. We'll swap. Okay, we'll perfect. <laughs> perfect. But, uh, Game but, in yeah. the system. Game in the system. But yeah, jumping into July, I mean... You know, with obviously having 41 indie titles, it's no surprise that two of my picks of the month are uh, indie titles. Uh-huh. Another one is actually a Marvel book. But I'm going to kick things off with something ridiculously adult, something that I know you're not actually no. reading. And uh, something that out of all the issues we have in this lovely tale in front of us, I don't have my issue in front of me because I was going to take it back into the store and put it in my collection. And uh, I thought, you know, he would really enjoy this. Vicky would really like this. Uh-huh. So it's currently sitting in her pile. It's the uh, <laughs> Bruno said to me the other day, she goes, um, you're not leaving like issues that you think I might like anymore. And I was like, well, that's because they sit beside your bed, you don't read them. And uh, so she was, she was like, well, I mean, if they were there, I could read them. And so she was asking for The Last Witch, you know, Conor McGreeze. Yeah. Uh, Last Witch. Uh, must get in touch with Conor again, actually. Uh, and also the the me that you love in the dark. Yeah. Uh, looking back, so yeah, I went. Well, I've got a couple other things in that you might be interested in. So read those first. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there's a whole room in there of comics. I'll recommend where to go. But uh, yeah, the title I'm kicking off uh, that really left an impression on me for July was the Ribbon Queen number one. So this is an AWA Studios title. Uh, it's written by Garth Ennis and art by Jason Burroughs, so frequent collaborators. So as I say, written by Ennis, art by Burroughs, covers by Declan Shelby, horror genre, and published at AWA Studios. Sometimes you just read the previous book, and it's like a so title is aimed squarely at you. And this is up there with the best number ones of the year for me. Okay. Um, so yeah, so what we have here, it's a title featuring police corruption, ancient powers that are bigger than all of us, and a great mystery story to boot. The main character we follow is Detective Amy's son, who's a clean cop in a corrupt precinct, who is not afraid to expose those who think they are above the law. It makes her about as popular within the precinct as you might expect, but as she investigates corrupt cops, she follows some breadcrumbs that lead her into the world of the supernatural and the ancient evil that has awoken to punish the guilty. You know, Ennis is no stranger to either the cop genre or the supernatural, so of course he is a master of marrying the two together and creating a suspenseful tale that keeps you... Turning the page, he's created a great cast of characters here, you know, some good, some bad, but uh, all adding something different to the story, and he knows how to pace and execute a good scare through page turns and suspenseful moments. As I said before, Jason Burroughs, long-time collaborator of Venice, you know, they worked on The Punisher together, I think they worked on some Avatar titles together as well, so you know their styles are going to mesh together perfectly. Burroughs is your type of artist, clean uh-huh. lines, yes, clean indeed. lines everywhere which results in great looking characters in the real world, but also reflecting that something evil just just lurks underneath. His style is also further elevated by Dan Brown, who does the colours. You know, there's a different mood in almost every single page, you know, similar to how we were talking there about Night Fever, different coloured panels, leaving different co- uh, impressions on you. Very similar sort of use here. And it's, it's a creative team with a level of craftsmanship that's just to be admired, and, you know, they're firing on all cylinders here, but... The reason it was elevated to a higher number one, uh, to a, such a high level for me, is that you know Ennis is writing about something deeper than it first appears here. You know, there there are ideas of revenge and retribution throughout the book, but how far is too far? You know, if something supernatural occurs and punishes the guilty, do even they deserve that level of violence that they receive? You know, there's 
a specific example in the book there's one cop who became obsessed with a survivor from a murder scene mm-hmm. he would follow her everywhere try to force himself upon her or you know get her to thank him for all the time uh, for saving her even though he didn't really he was part of a task force that saved her but suffice to say he does not get on with Detective Son and is clearly unhinged but does he deserve what happens to him in the book you know there's couple of pages before the end he there's a punishment he receives and it's very extreme you know are we as readers complicit in wishing harm on this character only to then be repulsed by what happens to him you know there's some interesting sort of ethical questions um being raised here as well which is interesting but uh yeah it's always a great feat for any book to hook you instantly and you know the world they create it feels lived in it feels a bit grimy a bit dirty and that's what ennis and burrows have created here you know the right and strong Here's another one of your favorite phrases. The world building is great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the comic looks amazing. You know, this is one that will stay with you from some time. And, and once again, AWF presented us with another great genre title. So it's going to be eight issues in total. Uh, Dex doing covers for all of them as well. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. I'll happily throw you my number one if, yeah, if and when. That sounds... Vicky reads it. <laughs> that sounds phenomenal, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. So yeah, that's the Ribbon Queen number one from Garth Ennison, Jason Burroughs. So... What did you kick July off with? Um, I can kick July off with nothing else other than X-Men Hellfire Gala. Speaking of Declan Shelby. Oh, I'm speaking of Declan <laughs> Shelby, who is not involved with the creation of the issue, but does appear <laughs> in, the, in the issue. Um, so as we now know, the Hellfire Gala is an annual event. Uh, in the world, of, the world of X-Men, shepherded by Jerry Dugan. Um, the uh, the first year, you know, shepherded in the uh, the new X Men team, um, and uh, you know had the introduction of Krakoa. The second year had the uh, t- the planet size, the, I yeah, the terraforming of Mars, yeah, uh, to uh, to become the planet Araco, the the mutant planet, uh, and which totally changed the, the entire Marvel universe. Uh, and uh, this year. As it says, there's no difference. So let me just... You haven't read this yet, no. have you? So let me just read you the blurb. The Hellfire Gala, Krakoa's premier mutant event of the year, in which mutants and humans from across the globe gather in Mykinus Island uh, to see who is elected onto the new X-Men team, and for a night of celebration and often revelation. During the first Hellfire Gala, mutants used the event to announce the recent creation of Araco, sister mutant civilization on the recently terraformed Mars. At the second Hellfire Gala, sorry... The celebrations were contested by human protests, uh, the recently revealed mutant resurrection process, process, sacred to the new technology, scared by the new technology and angry that humans have been left in the dark about it. Recently, the anti-mutant organization Orcus has been quietly fanning the flames of those fears through careful media smear campaigns and propaganda. Their agents have launched both violent and covert operations to weaken Krakoa and the X-Men. Each time it is held, the Hellfire Gallery heralds a new era of mutant innovation and history this year will be no different (laughs) and wow (laughs) it's not um so yeah it's always it's always a big event um and there the the creators on this title um the writer is uh jerry dugan the artist is an absolute hit list adam kubert luciano vaccio matteo lolly russell dodderman javier pina rb silva Joshua Casera, Chris Anka, and Pepe Larraz. I mean, if that's not a who's who, I don't know what is. But, uh, I mean, it starts, uh, obviously, recently, uh, 
the Marvel universe was shaken up by the death of Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel, uh, and very quickly they've brought her back. There's always been the sort of suggestion that she's a mutant. If she's a mutant, then she is uh, applicable for the X Men's resurrection process, mm-hmm. the mutant's resurrection process, and that's what it is. So the uh, Cyclops uh, and and the White Queen are discussing the idea that you know she could be a great. A champion for mutant rights you know because mm-hmm. she's so popular and and uh, they should invite her to the next Hellfire Gala and they should out her you know she'd be, she should be allowed to out herself as a mutant at the next Hellfire Gala we we see her resurrection and uh, and so forth and uh, Jumbo Carnation the mutant's fashion designer coming in to uh, to design her new costume and so forth and interestingly we see Scott back in his uh his classic uh, X-Men the Animated Series mm-hmm. uh, costume, which is pretty cool. And then we get straight into it. We get straight into the Hellfire Gala, which is just always a... You know, it's all about the costumes that the mutants are wearing. So we see Scott in this fantastic get-up, you know. And uh, Russell Donnerman made a great... You know, he's always... You'll see he's got... Um, at the end of the issue, there's always... Well, actually, this issue, there's not. But many of them, there's designs for the costumes and mm-hmm. Forge's costume and... So and usually the, the mutants give a great gift to humanity. In this case, they're looking at uh, the the the, the treehouse in New York and how Forge is going to use it to give free housing and grow food for humanity and all of this sort of stuff. And it all goes fairly pear shaped. Well, it doesn't go pear shaped quickly. Uh, there's obviously some action that needs to happen. We've got Jean Grey convincing Juggernaut that he needs to be on the next X Men team, and you sort of know things are going a wee bit squiffy. Um, Whenever the X Men team are, rela- are, are are elected so quickly in the issue, so about maybe a third of the way through the issue, the new X Men teams elected Talon, Sink, Prodigy, Cannonball, Frenzy, Dazzler, Jubilee, and Juggernaut, and you're like, okay, cool, that's the new. But we're only a third of the way through the issue now. In mm-hmm. that first third, uh, we know that we've got Jonathan Hickman's Gods coming up, and there's an interlude written here by Jonathan Hickman and Jerry Duggan, uh, and it's the Gods interlude, and we have Magic, uh, Ileana Rasputin. Okay, I don't know who you two are, but I'm but I sure know you're kind and I can smell it on you magic. Uh, and she comes at these two characters, one in a, a red coat with a you know, a beard and a and a grey shock of hair, and another sort of standing in the background. And the guy in the red coat, he goes, Hmm, that sounds right to you, Dimitri. Dimitri says, Never touch the stuff, barely believe in it. Well then, must just be the must you must just be talking to me. I'm win. So we're introduced to One of the gods. One of the gods. Uh, <clears throat> G-O-D-S. Um, how did you get in here when this party is invite only and you're not on the list oh why come and go as I like you know what I'm talking about I can smell that on you hmm mind if I ask you a question make it quick there's a story going around the beginning of days of this great mutant experiment of yours that one of you stood at the top of the world and told a gathering of humans that things they were a changing I heard that you said get this he wanted no needed them to understand this that mankind has new gods now which is exactly what Charles Xavier said to the mind of all humans. Yeah. Uh, he says, I gotta know. Is that a true story? Magic says, damn right it was. Oof, that's bold talk, no denying it. She says, no, there isn't. And now it's time for you to leave before I but before you go, I'm curious, why do you care? Wynne says, Professional curiosity. We work for the old gods. <laughs> so pretty cool stuff. Um, so anyway, uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff happens. Uh, 
Captain America, you know, Rogue gets a gets a call on her, her Avengers card saying that Captain America's in trouble. That links us straight into uh, the Uncanny Avengers, uh, which has just been released. And then the Avengers, the, the X-Men are related, and then it all goes pear-shaped. The next page, it all goes pear-shaped. Uh, as the new X-Men, who have just been elected, are attacked by Nimrod. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, who is that? Uh Frenzy's head explodes. Uh, Jubilee is stomped on and killed. Uh, Juggernaut's knocked flying. Uh, Dazzler's ripped apart. Cannonball's legs are there and his body's over there. <laughs> it's, it just it just all goes very bad very quick as Orcus, uh, the, the the human rights group, mm-hmm. launch their attack on uh, on Krakoa uh, with with Nimrod. Um, Iceman goes down. He's he's melted. Uh, he I mean, Iceman's an Omega mutant. He's known as Omega Two. He's the second most powerful mutant and living mutant. Um, Jean Grey being the most powerful, and it just it's a knockdown dragout fight. The, over the last few weeks, you may have seen it in Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Orcus have co-opted Tony Stark's technology. Yeah, and are creating these giant Iron Man Sentinels. Sentinels. So they now attack. They now attack our. Uh, Krakoa, and meanwhile, there's a propaganda war going on. So, you may be aware that uh, that in the Krakoa era, the the mutants have given humans all these medications that extend life, extend life cure illnesses. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. And Orgus have um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they've poisoned these medicines, and it looks it makes it look like the mutants have deliberately yeah. poisoned humans. So it all just goes, it all just goes wrong on all fronts. Uh, the you know the marketing front and the and Moira's in there as well, who through um oh god, what was that? I can't even remember what the story was. <laughs> what was the, the X story that was it was the middle of the, the Many Lives? No, it was no it was something. X of Swords? Nope, the other one. Before Fall of X, after part of X, it was Inferno. Inferno. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, she obviously was revealed to be a bad a bad person. So effectively Charles is manipulated into um mentally compelling all of the mutants to go through the gates and leave Earth mm-hmm. uh, on the order of, of Orcus. And the only ones that can stay behind are the mutants that have Charles's training to, re- to resist his own yeah. mental command. So some of the original X-Men, the more powerful mutants. Mm-hmm. And Firestar, who is now going to be compelled to join Orcus as a, as a spy, which is just heartbreaking stuff. Um, and of course, uh, whenever Charles compels them to go through the uh, the gates they all disappear he thinks they're going to, to Iraqo they, they, the mines just disappear so he now thinks he has killed all his, his fellow mutants so the mutants have gone from being an entire civilization to being a handful on earth uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy Kingpin's involved here because he's married to a mutant uh, Typhoid Mary and it just is nuts so we're left with this mutant team that that is you know most of the mutants are dead we have we have Rogue we have well, we don't know who we've left until until X Men twenty five, but it it has absolutely and completely once again changed <laughs> the entire status quo uh, of the X Men. The fall of the House of X has well and truly begun. Um, it's amazing stuff. It's amazing stuff. Uh, so, uh, X Men twenty five is the next issue after this. I have read it. It is equally phenomenal. <laughs> but this is this is something else. Whenever you see whenever you see Hellfire Gala coming up, and this. It's potentially the last Hellfire Gala because mm. this is it's great stuff. 
It's great stuff. I know you're not. I tend to read a lot of the X Men stuff through um, bigger collected editions. You know, I read X of Swords that way. I read um, Hellfire Gala, the first one that way, and Inferno that way, actually. So I tend to wait for sort of the bigger collected editions yeah, to come out. Yeah. Uh, I just genuinely find the X Men stuff a little overwhelming, just the, the volume of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But the volume of it is probably what contributes to your Marvel list being three times the size. Well, probably, and there, there's so much <laughs> world building. I mean, there there really is, and it's all it's all linked together. But uh, yeah, great stuff, brilliant, brilliant issue. And where is Dick and all of that? Oh, uh, where is he? He's in here as the he's the, the story. He's like an Irish ambassador. He is the Irish ambassador. Yeah, uh, the Hellfire Gallery, isn't he? He's in here somewhere. Um, I will find him. <laughs> um, he's in here somewhere well, I'll let you flick through until you find uh, Mr. Shelby and his X-Men appearance what's up for yourself next next up for me is another indie book and that is a book from Image Comics called Swan Songs uh, written by W. Maxwell Prince and art by Martin Simmons so this is a, it's a new anthology series uh, which is maybe not a surprise given W. Maxwell Prince is involved because the, the anthology format is clearly something he specialises in. You know, from Ice Cream Man to Ha Ha. His work primarily exists in one-shot form and often with different artists along for the ride. So, yeah, with Swan Songs, the basic idea is that every issue is to do with an ending of sorts. Yep. Whether it's the end of a marriage, the end of a sentence, the end of the day, or the in this the case, the end of the world mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, now, if, if this is a subject matter you're going to be dealing with and there are a few artists out there better equipped to bring this hellish landscape to life than uh, Department of Truth co-creator and series artist Martin Simmons. You know, I said it before regarding the Ribbon Queen and I would say the same thing with Swan Songs. This is in the conversation for best number one this year, I think. And where Swan Songs maybe has the edge is that this is a one-shot. And that's the strength of a series like this, especially for a store. You know, you can dip in and out, you can pick up issues if you like the sound of the story or it's with an artist you particularly like. It's essentially a perfect series for newer, newer readers and also the non-committal types as well. So, yeah, with the theme of this issue being the end of the world itself, it may perhaps be rather surprising that we focus on a very small story within the apocalypse itself. Um, that of Brian, who is caring for a sick mother mm-hmm. as the atomic clock counts down to zero. So. The story is very sincere end of the world story rather than a cynical end of the world story as Brian is determined to get one last issue of his mother's favourite gardening magazine before everything ends. You know, this allows the scale of the end of the world to be briefly glimpsed as Brian, he makes his way through the war-torn streets as society collapses in the face of its demise. You know, the, the artwork is particularly horrifying as he's going through the streets. You know, you see religious zealots, you see... People who have joined gangs, you see rioting, you see people on drugs because that's how they're dealing with it. You know, you see all these different things to the point where there's even a little kid who's attacked and Brian saves him and then the little kid stabs him and like steals uh-huh. his stuff off him. It's it's a real glimpse into humanity and what would happen if, if this kind of thing, you know, was to occur. In a very small way. In a very small way, as I say, yeah. So, you know, we're constantly reminded throughout the book as well. There's a countdown on every other page and even those are very well done in terms of the art. Like sometimes it might be a number reflected in someone's eyes, 17. It might be, um, you know, TV screens in the background. It may be a doctor who's healing him up after he's been stabbed or suddenly it's down to seven. 
Um, but there's a real sense of dread the whole mm. way through it. And small little details to the art that are great. You know, when he finally gets back home to his apartment building to see his mum, or sorry, to the hospice where she is, he goes to use the lift and it says, still out of order, probably forever, um, as he has to run up the stairs to her. And the, the lift at the start actually says, out of order, on account of the end times, which <laughs> reminded me of, do not open, dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, with, with this countdown on every page, you know, this further highlights the tension and the hope that Bran will actually complete this last task for his mother. You know, it's, it's, it's a noble quest, and his noble quest for the magazine introduces a broad range of eccentric and volatile characters, as I was saying before. Um, but, uh, yeah, Simmons, he's the perfect artist for this this territory, you know, given his experience with the Department of Truth. This is the reason that I got this book, was Martin Simmons. 100%. You know, you know, there's large splash panels. There's, you know, including a very impressive first and final page. You know, it provides readers with that sense of anormality, despite it being a small story. You know, towers loom, fires rage, entropy consumes all, as layers of his various art morphs with every page. You know, it's it's an interesting thing that the the idea of this book is endings, because Swan Songs is essentially inviting readers to explore finality in a medium that never ends. Mm-hmm. You know, after all, there's always next week's releases oh, to pick clever, up. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, but Prince's career is a testament to less is more and what he achieved in this first issue. You know, there's, I don't think there's many better writers today in terms of writing just a single issue story with a perfect beginning, middle and end. You know, and combined with that consistently stunning work and perfect style of Simmons, it makes for a, a genuinely outstanding debut that seriously addresses the anxiety of feeling like, you know, you're living in the end times, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we get to the end of that and then we see issue two and the end of a marriage. Yeah, and that is was... powerful in its own yeah, ways it as was, well. absolutely it was. But yeah, that last page where the world just explodes in a, in a almost in colour, you know? A beautiful, colourful cacophony. Yeah, it's almost oh, like a tree. It's almost like little bubbles. And... Yeah. yeah, man, he's a, he's a great, great artist. Yeah, just a... Beautiful book and also a bittersweet book about uh, the end of the world. Uh, so yeah, Swan Songs number one, as I say, was my second pick from July. What about yourself? Um, well, I'm going to swing into IDW territory. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very often out of it these days, uh, <laughs> given the strength of their Star Trek books. This is your second IDW pick as well. Absolutely, 100%. And if you look at the litany of names at the top of that, Cantwell, Kelly and Lansing as the writers. And Rosannis as well. Rosannis, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, what we have here is Star Trek Day of Blood number one. So the Star Trek, uh, you know, there's the Star Trek book, the core Star Trek book and Star Trek Defiant from IDW. Uh, Defiant by Cantwell, uh, the original Star Trek book by Kelly and Lansing. Uh, and they've been ticking towards over the last year uh, you know, ten, 10 months a year towards this day of blood and, and in particular counting down towards it. It is the first ever Star Trek comics crossover event. Yeah, which was quite the surprising yeah. revelation. And this is the this is the alpha issue. So the uh, the, the the it'll be going through uh, day of blood uh, and then uh, defiant six star trek 11 defiant seven star trek 12 so it's five issues they're not they're not mucking about it's lead yeah. you know the, the lead up actually has been Efficient. longer yeah the lead up has been longer than, than the actual uh, you know event so 
So what what we have uh, just to just to bring you up to date um, is uh, that the immortal emperor of the Klingon Empire, Kalis II. So Kalis was the was the god of the Klingons. Like he was, we're well, not the god. He was the he was the, the emperor Kalis. He was the in all their stories and all their he was their their hero. You know and. Uh, thousands of years ago, and during uh, during Star Trek: The Next Generation, the, the the Klingons were in such a bad state that Worf was part of a plot to uh, clone Kalis from the blood on a sword mm-hmm. and put him in place as the Emperor of the Klingon Empire in order to in order to bring the Klingon Empire back together. But that has not gone well. So Kalis too has consolidated power. He's raided ancient tombs and secret bunkers. And he's taken the power of gods for himself. He's stolen the Bajoran Orb of Destruction. He's commenced the slaughter across the stars with the goal of the genocide of all the gods. So killing off the Qs, killing off the Crystalline Entities, all of the all of the gods that uh, that Klingon gods and other gods that uh, you know Klingons have always said they killed their own gods, and so now he's set out to kill all the others. Um, you know, and that genocide of the gods was just the beginning for the with the power that he stole in Kalis is about to declare war on all who don't follow his red path cult. Uh, so to prevent a genocide unlike anything since the old days of, of Kronos, the, the Klingon homeworld, there's a crew of absolute Star Trek icons has got together, uh, led by the emissary, uh, Benjamin Sisko from Star Trek D Space Nine, and the renegades who follow uh, Worf who's become increasingly violent and desperate because his son is involved in the Red Path and they're trying to unite from a common cause and only through that can they stop the, the day of blood so say five part uh, Cantwell, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing um, and just just epic stuff epic stuff so I mean this is this is set to me to you know Star Trek has all these you know pivotal moments in it you know you have you know the launch of the the, the Phoenix uh, and the and the Star Trek First Contact and uh, you know you have the Genesis device and Star Trek Wrath of Khan and you have uh, the Battle of Wolf three five nine in the Next Generation and the Dominion War and uh, you know Frontier Day and Picard and I think the Day of Blood is set to join all those Star Trek events. It's absolutely it's just phenomenal. This is brought to you by um, a group of people who like the writers of Star Trek Strange New Worlds love and understand Star Trek I mean these are fan get fanboys Kelly and Lansing wrote uh, you know Star Trek year five uh, you know in, the, mm-hmm. in comic form yeah. uh, they have a role playing game an ongoing role playing game of Star Trek that they've been running for years that I think they based a lot of this on <laughs> you know and it just it begins with you know Worf has sent out he, he split off from the Theseus crew which is the crew of uh, Cisco's ship, and it begins with him. You know, well, the last issue ends with him sending out a a message to Captain Cisco saying, "We need to meet. This is what I know. This is what mm-hmm. you have. We need to get together again and and try and defeat Callus before he kills us before he he does what he." And so the, the the crews of the Theseus and the Defiant reunite in the Klingon homeworld, and what they cleverly do is they split various pairs of the crew off. So Worf and Cisco are together trying to get into the spire at the centre of the Klingon homeworld and they have issues to work out, you know, because mm-hmm. Cisco used to be Worf's captain. You know, he's a superior officer in Starfleet. Worf has now sort of more or less mutinied. Uh, but, 
you know, because Worf left the next generation and came to Deep Space Nine, and you know, and he's it's all this is all Klingon stuff, and Benjamin has been the emissary. He's gone off to to become a god effectively, and has now come back to Earth, and Worf can't get his head around that. And then we have Data and Lore. Uh, Data, you know, you're familiar with Data. Yeah. Lore is Data's evil twin brother. Uh, he uh, so he has been part of the Defiant crew, brought on board by Mister Spock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're now working out their issues. We have. Uh, Tom Paris and Balana Torres, two characters from uh, Voyager, who got married, uh, are together, have a kid together, but are now trying to work together again <laughs> after being stuck in the Delta Quadrant for seven years. And uh, so there's so many layers going on here. We have Scotty being left on board the ship that he designed, the Theseus. Uh, well, you know, I mean, you've, um, yeah, I don't know if you going to it. And uh, you know, it's and he's seeing Spock for the first time. So Spock obviously was Scotty's crewmate on the original series. They're both much older now. Mm-hmm. Have gone through a lot, and uh, <laughs> there's one scene where where Scotty goes, effectively goes, "It's nice to see you. Can I give you a hug?" And Spock's just like, <laughs> raises the eyebrow, more or less walks away. It's nice to see you too, Mister Scott. It's <laughs> all <laughs> so again. We talked in uh, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons about characters and characterization. You know, yeah. so these are. More so than much more so than Dungeons and Dragons, these are characters who are well loved by hundreds of thousands of people. You know, there's a there's a responsibility here. Not that hundreds of thousands of people are reading this comic, but there's a responsibility that these people that can't well Kelly and Lansing take very very seriously. Star Trek is all about relationships, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, no less than this. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, you know Kalis. Meanwhile, he's moving forward and putting out his battle cry to cling on homeward, telling his people that there's a new way, the red path. And, uh, you know, many take their leader up and it's called to action. And it's just, it's so cool seeing a comic or two comics building up towards a moment and then that moment paying off as it does in this. Um, and the, the artist here is uh, Ramon Rosanos and just has these characters down to AT, the ships. And the space stations, they all are designed the way they're supposed to. Those Klingon warbirds look like they're supposed to look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the characters look like they're supposed to look. That is Cisco's profile, that is Worf's profile, facing each other, you know, across a double page spread with their different crews there. Um, you know, there's actually characters in here from Star Trek Lower Decks as well. Um, you know, Ensign Rowe, uh, some new characters. So it's it's... It's a real good combination of the old and the new, the established characters from different series, new characters brought in, uh, you know, created for this. It just, it looks so good. I mean, look, that's cool. <laughs> it's a, a, Klingon, a Klingon knife up against the spire and a, and a warbird in the background. It's just, it's great stuff. It, uh, yeah, so, so very, very good. And uh, of course it ends, the issue ends with, you know, Worf and, and Cisco trying to trying to put their differences aside because there's a job to do. Um, but uh, yeah, very very good stuff, very good stuff. So, not your fandom, I know, not your interest. But if you have any interest in Star Trek, uh, you would be well. You do well to pick up the the God Shock trade paperback, and uh, yeah, this will no doubt will come out in trade paperback day of blood mm-hmm. with these five issues, and it's just stellar stuff. It's it's great Star Trek yeah, it's a good time to be a fan of Star Trek is, say, in terms yeah. of comics have probably printed more now than they ever have yeah yeah. Uh, I think IDW has done a great thing and and taken over that well they always had the license they've had it for a while I mean DC had it in the past 
Marvel we, had it too for a while. Because we actually got in a, a run of about 100 Star Trek DC comics. Oh, yeah? Uh, that went into the bays there in the last week or two. So uh, that was back when Next Generation had launched. They uh-huh. did the that was DC Comics had it but yeah I think the license has bounced around from time to time I think IDW have had it for a while but I don't think they've taken it as seriously or devoted as much resources uh, to it I think they've just got the right, the right people on it you know they uh, especially Lansing and Jackson they're just yeah. they're, they're, they're big Star Trek nerds big role playing nerds big, you I know love the idea that you say they've been running the game for years and that's probably they probably just recorded it one night and went yeah, apparently so. I can't remember which of them is the dungeon master, but apparently there's a there's a, a game that they've been running. It's 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 almost like the original series continued. Yeah. So they wrote the original series ran for four years, and then they wrote year five, uh, and I think then they used their, their role playing game to continue the original series on. But uh, two guys that I would love to have a conversation with. <laughs> um, I noticed actually, and I pointed it out to you in that uh, Marvel multiversal role playing game. They're listed as two of the playtesters, ah, play <laughs> along with uh, Jim Zub. And uh, Jerry Duggan, I think, is on there, wasn't it? Yeah, some big names. Uh-huh. Big names. Big nerds. Big nerds. Well, <laughs> we're all big nerds, so <laughs> something we all have in common. Oh, I say it proudly. I say it proudly. <laughs> well, yeah, staying in the realm of Marvel as we talk about the, the Marvel role-playing book, my last pick of this uh, episode is a Marvel title, and it is Moon Knight City of the Dead number one. So this is written by David P. Post and art by Marcello Ferreira. So, I mean, this is... Uh, the, the um, David Pipos, lately of Savage Avengers. Savage Avengers. Um, and what was the other thing he wrote? There was something else because it was trending on Twitter and he said, don't mind if Oh, I do. He, he, he wrote uh, in the, the recent Hulk annual. That's exactly what else, which was great. Yeah, I mean, that Savage Avengers one that I was like... I mean, because there's been a couple of runs... Uh, and I sort of begrudgingly almost picked up the first issue. I was like, oh, well. Because that was the Conan, Venom, yes, Conan in modern then, times. Yeah, 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 but then later then, whenever Marvel lost Conan, he disappeared from yeah. the, and it was Cloak and Dagger and Deathlock and uh, Miles Morales' Deathlock, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, that his his run on that was phenomenal. I think it was actually Jared Dugan did the Venom yeah, and yeah, Punisher. Yeah, and yeah. So whenever I see his name now, I'm like, oh, I really enjoyed that run. Yeah, must keep an so, eye out. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, with this one, it was heavily marketed on the, the idea of the debut of the new Scarlet Scarab. You know, it's definitely a title for fans of the uh, recent TV show. But uh, yeah, the, the, the crux of this is when a young runaway is attacked by a gang of death cultists, he is left barely alive outside the Midnight Mission. But Mark Spector made a vow long ago to defend the travellers of the night, and as long as a spark of life remains, his mission isn't over yet. Follow Moon Knight on his most harrowing adventure yet, as the fist of Khonshu journeys far beyond the land of the living, and battles across the mind-bending underworld known as the City of the Dead. I mean, Moon Knight City of the Dead, number one, it serves as an interlude to the main Moon Knight series, which continues to be one of Marvel's best comics. You know, it, it takes place sometime roughly after issue 19, and that issue had featured a twist on existing Moon Knight lore with Conchu's ability to resurrect avatars gone due to his uh, his imprisonment. But Mark is continuing to perfect the Knight's travels and, you know, this time taking a young kid under the Midnight Mission's creed. You know, the kid is targeted by a death cult called the Sons of the Jackal that worships Anubis, the Egyptian god of death. And uh, their machinations for the boy lead Moon Knight to Duat, the city of the dead, a metaphysical realm which is influenced by every inhabitant's mind so 
Yeah, as Moon Knight investigates Jekyll's plans, you know, the city warps around him, the book's other big comes into play, and that's the introduction of the Scarlet Scarab, Lila El Faioli. Uh, Lila made a quick appearance in last week's, uh, in the oversized issue, Moon Knight 25, and the flashback from that issue that revealed Lila's death plays a role in the, uh, in the reunion in this book. But there's so much still to be revealed in the City of the Dead illusionary elements to reveal is uh, it's a fascinating hook <coughs> that ties both the titles past, present and future. It sets it up really, really well for, for future issues. But the most important and the most impressive thing about this is that people's script it immediately aligns with the main Moon Knight title. You know, it captures the guilt ridden but forward focused spectre that has been established and well utilized in uh, in Jed McKay's run. The opening bit of the issue is Moon Knight in his element. You know he's hunting criminals, protecting the innocent, the streets of New York, and you know people see he gives confidence to the plot as he tackles the quintessential aspect of the Moon theme vigilante. You know I thought this opening issue uh, was excellent. You know it's very much its own thing, but it also feels cohesive with that main Moon Knight title. I think that's so important. You know the writing captures that tone, the voice of the, the flagship book, but the appearance of Hunter's Moon. The Hunter's Moon, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Another Dr. character Bader, introduced yeah. through yeah. through the main Moon Knight. You know, it's but yeah, there's there's a new energy to this book thanks to the you know overtly supernatural premise of traveling to the afterlife. You know, whereas the the, the main Moon Knight title is very much a ground level vigilante title. I think you know the book's coloring picks up on that hook. It delivers two distinct palettes, falling in line with the established shoes and the exceeding expectations in the back half. So yeah, the art's great. You know, packs a punch. There's you know kinetic action there's weight to the action and emotion as the world shifts around the characters you know it makes for an excellent showcase of the strong pairing of gritty street level action and high concept mythical elements um if you're on the main midnight book you'll definitely want to pick this up you know but if you're if you're not reading it you know you, you could still check this out you know it's a really cool exploration of the character and the elements that intersect to make midnight a really unique character in the uh the fabric of the marvel universe and and of course, this being a number one, and of course, us being slaves to it, ours is a Scotty Young variant. So it is. Yours is very different from mine. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moon on it, yes. There's a moon on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marcello Ferreira's art is, uh, is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's different from that in the, in the core book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, whenever, whenever the... The crescent blades embed themselves in the that son of the jackal's arm. There, that looks, that yeah. looks painful. Um, but yeah, very visceral art. Yeah, very visceral. Uh, very. There's there's a wee sniff of Sinkowitch about it as well. Mm-hmm. You know the sort of the, the twisted way that Moonlight Almost is sort of, yeah, of portrayed, especially around you know the, that that right hand side of the bottom where he leaps in. But uh, yeah, it's it's cool stuff. As I say, the the. And the, the, the colour, so, you know, Moon Knight is really uh, effervescent, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 there's a, a blueness around him, around the, the, the pure white that is, uh, is where it's supposed to be. But I think this, I think this um, walks the line between uh, the TV show and the comic very, mm-hmm. very well. I think this exists exactly in that place right between because... Yeah, in that little sweet spot. Uh, yeah, we have the likes of Hunter's Moon... Uh, and so forth from the the comic book, but then the the traveling, you know, the traveling into the city of the dead. Uh, there's some some elements there, you know. So obviously we can see that it's classic Egyptian, but the weighing your heart against the, you know, on the scales and, scales. and the 
the vast desert, you know, where uh, what do you call him, Mark Spector disappeared, and uh, and then you've got later on in the issue, you've got Am- Amut appearing, uh, the uh, the devourer, which was Amut, was the god that your man was trying to was trying to resurrect in yeah. the TV series, I think, um, and of course then there's the Scarlet Scarab, uh, who first appeared, so you've got a, a classic uh, case of like Harley Quinn. A character porting over from TV to, to the comics, yeah. yeah, and it was funny because I was reading this, and uh, Bruno looked over and went, "Oh, is that your one from the TV show?" Yes. <laughs> you know? And and, uh, and uh, I mean, Scarlet Scarab was fantastic in the TV show. For me, she was. Which you turned to Bruno and went, ah, "Not all hope is lost." <laughs> well, I, I mean, I certainly I thought I thought the episode she had the TV show was better than the Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> it was. She was fantastic. Uh, her. You know her because they had worked on her origin. Mm-hmm. Everything tied together beautifully. Uh, you know where she was coming from and, and why she acted the way she did. And uh, but yeah, just a beautiful looking, beautiful looking series. Wee bit dreamy. You know, wee bit nightmarish. Yeah. Um, because so much of it takes place in a in a in a, in a world beneath our own or beside our own. Yeah, hallucinatory. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. And a spe- you know that you know whenever Mark first seals off the river of the dead into the city and you can see the, the pyramid and a, and, a, and a sphinx that looks a bit like apocalypse there in the background and it looks like a combination of modern day sort of Egypt and yeah it's very cool stuff very cool stuff yeah, yeah. five issue miniseries in total but yeah as I said it's just good that it doesn't try to be too different from the main title and it just aligns really nicely with it so uh, yeah no I really really dug it and uh, look forward to the rest of the series. So yep. that is me checking out of the reviews for this episode with Moon Knight City of the Dead. And we have one last one to finish off for yourself. I say check out, but, you know, if you didn't pick this one, I probably <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So this is one from, let me see, it was the third week of July, the 19th. Um, so the same week as uh, Star Trek Day of Blood. Uh, and this was Blade number one. Uh, ah, Blade, welcome back. Welcome back, Blade. Uh, long may you last, though it's rarely the case for you, son. Uh, so who have we got on this? Uh, we've got uh, Brian Hill is the writer, and Elena Casagrande is the uh, is the is the artist on it with Jordi Belair on colours. And um, we know the story, Eric Brooks is the half human, half vampire hybrid known as Blade. He possesses vampiric strength, senses, longevity, but is able to withstand daylight, the daywalker. Blade has dedicated his long life to battling supernatural evils and he is about to face his greatest challenge yet. So whenever something Blade comes along, I just buy it yeah. for the most part. Um and that has all that has been the case since the nineties, since uh, Wesley Snipes so ably uh, portrayed uh, Blade um, arguably it's still a top three movie based on a Marvel character for me the first Blade yeah, is yeah, just yep yeah. and, and the first Blade I think is just as important in the cinematic landscape of superheroes as Spider-Man by Sam Raimi mm-hmm. as uh, X-Men by Brian Singer you know Blade was I, I still remember just a really show my age I saw Blade in the cinema Twice. I saw Blade in the cinema. Twice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A couple um, of times. Yeah, yeah I just uh-huh. loved it. It was... One now, of the best openings to any movie ever. 100%, and this sort of kind of... Echoes it a wee bit. It's funny, because uh, while I know you're not a fan of uh, everything Rob Liefeld does, um, he does a fantastic podcast called Rob's Revisions, 
Um, it's hard to argue with the man's passion as a comic book fan and his experience, you know, within the comic book industry. But he sort of would would counter that and say that that Blade, while it's a fantastic movie, did not make the splash for comic movies that uh, that, for example, X Men did because it wasn't linked to mm. superheroes. It was a horror movie. Um, and it was never marketed as a superhero movie. It was never what a shock Rob Liefeld disagrees with me. <laughs> absolutely. Or that I disagree with him. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that, that opening scene of the Blade movie where, you know, he goes into the... We, we see a nightclub and then Blade goes in and we're suddenly realised that it's a vampire nightclub and he's a vampire hunter and, you know... Some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, so this starts the same way. We're in a nightclub, um, and I think they're, they're, they're clear in that, but it's a wee bit different. We've got a, a human girl that's in a nightclub, and uh, it quickly becomes apparent to her that she's in a vampire nightclub. And that's when Blade arrives, crashing his car through the wall. Makes a bigger entrance than he did. It was a quieter entrance in the movie. Uh, well, it was or it wasn't. <laughs> you know? It wasn't a quieter aftermath, but it was a quieter entrance because he just turns up and walks in in slow motion. Yeah, absolutely. I need to watch that movie again. Blade's amazing. Yeah, that's oh. so good. Um, with the, uh, the headlights of his car are obviously ultraviolet lights because they're dissolving vampires. And that effect in the movie, that's what we're seeing here, yeah. where they just blow apart. Um you know, and some of them are burned, whatever else, but he gets her out of there anyway. Um, he's looking pretty cool as Blade, uh, with uh, Elena Casagrande's art. It's all very, very clean lines, very, especially, there's one panel here, uh, and it's him silhouetted against the lights of his car, and he's wearing, you know, a black jacket and black trousers and shoes, and he's just got the two samurai swords, and he looks cool as hell, and... I, you know, Wesley Snipes redefined the look of Blade. Oh, yeah. You know, he, uh, before Wesley Snipes, he was... You know, a seventies character who wielded teak daggers. Yeah. You know, and next thing he's he's got the the crawl fucking uh, throwing thing and the the samurai swords and everything else. You know, so and he's all he's all. I mean, Blade's story has been cool. He's been an Avenger. He was the sheriff of Chernobyl, which is now the vampire landscape. So this is separate from that. This is mm-hmm. we don't know what the story, what Blade's story has been since then. But either way, he's. Uh, He's looking for this girl and he's cutting his way through vampires to get there. Um, like the knight in shining armor, he he, uh, he takes her away on his, on his, on his steed and uh, then we, we flash back to see what's going on. And uh, Blaine is summoned by, uh, by, it looks like a werewolf, uh, I think. Um, werewolf Nation has a friend in Blade, don't we? So uh, this, this contact, Tanaka summons him, says you need to protect this girl. Um, you know, you need to you need to find her, protect her. Well, you know, Blade doesn't trust what's going on here. Um, you know, and he, he looks like he's going to be screwed over. And then, you know, Blade takes her back to his to his uh, his HQ, whatever he's trying to protect her. And this this dude, this big dude in a like an old samurai mask, you know, arrives and and levels Blade like he, he goes through him, and uh, it's not looking good. Uh, he's got this fiery sword and. Um, yeah, it's not a fair fight. Uh, this guy is clearly after the girl, and then at one point, about two thirds of the way through the issue, it all turns a corner. And yeah, the old rope dope. Yeah, the old rope dope, as you say, and uh, suddenly she's looking like much more powerful than than she is. Dana, this girl is called, and uh, it turns out that she's the big bad. Uh, you know, she hasn't felt as good in five thousand years. Blade has just helped her eliminate the one person that could have taken her down. Uh, you know, and uh, 
And yeah, it's not looking. Uh, it's not looking good. Blade chops her head off. She picks up her head and goes. Let's not be vulgar. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, the issue ends with uh, with Blade down. Uh, you'll heal. You always do. Find me if you want. I'd like to hear you scream again. So uh, it's cool stuff, and it ends with this pretty horrible. You know, she uh, she takes her sword as she walks out on the blade's grass. She takes her sword and slits herself down the down the center. You know, bisects her the skin on her face, and then just rips it off. You know, to to reveal the musculature beneath, and uh, and away she goes as some sort of the, her shadow then engulfs her and becomes a costume. Uh, it's kind of a cool effect, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the shadow, and then the shadow just flows around her. And just uh, wisps into the into the night sky. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever you think about that, I mean, if they could they could easily do that effect in, in a movie, and it would just look cool as yeah. hell. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're 12 days later, 13 days later, in the in the Khmer Rouge, in the Kermadon Mountains, and uh, we have Blade. He's, he's hung up. He's being tortured. And... Uh, and uh, Obviously, some folks uh, have been training to, to take down this this big bad, and they 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 they're they're looking for a blade to help, but they don't necessarily agree. Um, but yeah, the first issue was first issue was just stunning. It was yeah. as close as we've got to the blade movie, I think, in a long time. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I mean, I, I love the the turnaround in the story, especially. I thought I didn't see it coming. Um, you know, with being, yeah, yeah, with being sent to protect someone, and then it just turns out, you know, she actually needed to manipulate him, to, as you say, to take out the one person who could maybe take her down. The art was great the whole way through it. It was action packed. It was visceral. It was, as you say, that really, like Marvel hasn't shied away from some more adult storytelling recently. Mm. I'm surprised they haven't uh, brought back like the Marvel Knights imprint or well, they did, they did for Max. the 20th anniversary. Well, it was like a wee mini. It was like wee mini series, but you know what yeah. I mean. They did MK Twenty, I think it was, but you know, you could easily create a label that had Ghost Rider, Blade, Moon Knight, Wolverine currently. Well, yeah, no, yeah. you could easily put all these under the one banner because they're not afraid of some adult storytelling. No, you know, no. as you say, whether it's the effect of you know a severed head talking and laughing, yeah, yeah, as he thinks he's got the upper hand, or you know, her slitting her entire body yeah. to reveal sort of a bloody skeleton almost but uh yeah wonderful first edition yeah and, and again it's it's the kind of stuff i like in the marvel universe that's maybe slightly off center slightly Ooh. away from all the traditional superhero stuff uh yeah burning first issue yeah i mean you say that but i mean yes blade is definitely a wee bit left of the superhero stuff i mean so much of the stuff that we've looked at tonight uh has not been superhero stuff uh really you know between the two of us yeah you know, there's uh, there's some fantasy stuff in there. There's some end of stuff. There's some sci-fi stuff. And an issue of Batman, of course. Yeah, that's that's, that's superhero <laughs> stuff right there. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, good, good, some good. I mean, June and July were were good, solid. Yeah, good, very, solid months. Very much so. I mean, you know? I think I'd originally picked out about twelve or thirteen titles that really made an impact and then yeah, just whittled it down yeah, to I mean that's the that's the trick for me is I every every week I pick out five titles and then it's whittling it down to the five titles of the month. <laughs> uh, and because we've been so far behind it was three titles. So it was tight, but just I mean I've really been enjoying comics these last two or three months, two and a half months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I got behind but 
never when I was reading was a go and this is a chore, this is a slog. Yeah, I need you need know. to get through this pile uh, or that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I usually, I usually, if I'm coming downstairs, I usually pick up five comics from my pile and and then you know I pick them up and then I'll go the next one. Woo! I'm looking forward to that. You know, whenever you can do that. Yeah. Uh, there's very few issues that I'm not looking forward to, and, and honestly, if I if I look at an issue and go, uh, I'm kind of going, okay, well maybe that would that's be usually off. a sign, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. So, so yeah, not not a lot of that at the minute. There's a lot of quality going on, and August is no different. No, August off a very very strong yeah. start. I can already see at least two or three titles that will be certainly discussed in the next show, but. Yeah, you were saying how we'd fallen behind. Well, we are behind no more. Indeed. Uh, that is us caught up to the end of July as we record on the 16th of August. So, as we say, guys, the, the, the plan from here as much as possible is to endeavour to deliver a monthly show at minimum, uh, reviewing the best titles from that month. Uh, we want to get back on board all of the previews podcasts. And uh, we've been talking about book clubs for I don't know how long, mm-hmm. but we really need to pin down one or two of those. We just need to get together a, a bit more, and obviously you've got uh, you've got some priority changes, uh, and uh, eventually your your schedule will change again. It will indeed. Yeah. It will indeed. But uh, but no, it's been really fun just talking comics again, and it really gets you in the mood to read some of those titles again. But then again, the comics world is so relentless that uh, we're already moving on to the next thing. Absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, no, it was an absolute pleasure chatting comics there as I say all of our favourite titles released from June and July. As ever, uh, get in touch with the store if any of those titles appeal to you. We can always advise you is the best way to wait for a graphic novel. Can we get you into the single issues from number one? Um, can we get you on board those titles that way as well? So uh, there's always plenty of options in the world of comics for how best to consume said content. So yeah, we will leave it there. We will uh, raise a glass of whiskey to catch it up. We will say chin chin and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this and we'll look forward to seeing you in the store soon. Yes, and uh, if you find yourself hired by a werewolf to look after a mysterious girl, make sure you don't accidentally kill the only person that can kill her. Exactly. If you slice her head off and she laughs, you're in trouble. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Good night. So, I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.